You're listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast, your weekly podcast looking at all things Warhammer. Hello and welcome to episode 162 of the Sprues and Brews podcast. My name is Dave and I'm joined once again by Jay. Hello. And Andy. Hello, hello, hello. No Matt this week, unfortunately. I believe he's chained to his work desk. <laughs> Beaming away, they've, they've, yeah, keeping it, keeping him behind, unfortunately. Um, so hopefully Matt will be back on the show next week. It'll also probably mean this hobby segment will be significantly shorter because it's normally <laughs> Matt that um, comes along and does like paints an army in a week. Um, but we'll we'll see we'll see what we can do. Uh, on this week's show, we have got a little bit to talk about. So we've got a brand new Octarius book, which landed, which our review went live on Saturday. We're going to be having a quick chat about that. And it only um, seems like five minutes ago we were looking at the the one before that. It's crazy, isn't it, how it just snuck up on us? I know. It, it, it didn't, yeah, it just kind of went up for pre-order, didn't it? Um, mm. So it's it's a good book. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about a little bit about it later on. There's also quite a lot in the news this week, um, including some balance updates of 40k and quite a few pre-orders, in particular, if you're a fan of the Black Templars, Jay. Yes. <laughs> and towards the end of the show, we will have this week's top three where we're going to be looking at our top three limited edition models. Uh, this is, I think, inspired by the release of the Red, the Red Gobbo. Um, he's got a new Christmas uh, iteration which is available now um so yeah we're going to be checking that out a bit later on uh, and we will be reading out some of the community picks uh, right at the end of the podcast and before and we've we get... also got we've also got the tournament to talk about haven't we yes well i think we're going to tie this into our hobby update so it does okay. give us something to talk about um so yeah we we did all attend a purple sparkle unicorn tournament uh this last sunday gone um, which was which was really fun, and we'll, we'll talk about our games as we sort of go through our hobby roundup. Which, speaking of, we'll talk about now. So, um, yeah, what have we been up to in the hobby this week? Uh, Jay, do you want to start us off? Yeah, cool. So on the painting side, it's been a bit strange um, because I've been working on some Howling Banshees uh, and I've been really enjoying painting them. They're not quite finished yet. I've still got quite a way to go. So I've done the bulk of the armor now. I've done the sort of mane that's flown off the helmet um i've done the um all of the um like cloth they've got like loin cloths and tassels and things attached to the blades and arms and whatnot done all of them and i've started to put down well i have put down all the black base colors for all the leather straps and sword hilts and things and i've done all of the um metal sort of uh, like the jewels and things and trinkets that are hanging off of them so um, all i've got left to do on them really is the weapons themselves the blades themselves and highlight up the uh, leather straps um, and then i need to pick out the gems as well there's lots of gems on elder you're always picking out gems on elder and do the bases mm-hmm. um so i was going to take the craft world elder to the crusade event at warhammer world at the weekend mm. um like a wraith contingent of of um a wraith guard wraith seers wraith lords with howling banshees like a spirit theme type um force um but then i used the ultramarines at the purple spark the unicorns tournament this weekend and i m- m- the ultramarines is a bit more of a rounded force that i've got so i've got different things i can choose from um and uh, i think i can tell a better story with the ultramarine i'm going to go i'm using the ultramarines so um what i want to take though is a redemptive dreadnought with a plasma is it a macro plasma incinerator so yeah for the last 
few hours today, in fact, I've been working on painting up that. So um, I should have that finished tonight. I'll get some pictures on social media. Um, so, yeah, so th- I've already got a, dre- a dreadnought with a heavy onslaught Gatling cannon. Uh, so I-, I thought, oh, well, I'll take a, a-, a plasma uh, variant as well. Mm. Oh, good choice. I think that should be quite tasty having uh, two dreads. Yeah, well, this is it. I'm not just dis- fully decided on two dreads or not yet. I don't know if a two, because this is obviously a narrative weekend. It's a crusade weekend. Um, so obviously you're not taking a list to, you know, come top in a tournament. Um, and I know dreadnoughts aren't exactly the most powerful unit you can take nowadays. But I don't know whether two two of them will be too much. Um, so um, it, I, I'm not 100% certain yet. I think if I do take, I'm definitely taking a plasma dreadnought rather than a, a assault cannon variant. Um, if I only take one, that's the one I'll take. Otherwise, I might take two. Um, the list I'm thinking about taking is um, a, a, a Primaris Librarian and a Primaris Captain leading the force. I've got a, um, a unit of 10 intercessors and a unit of five heavy, heavy intercessors as my troops. I'm thinking about splitting that unit of 10 into two units of five because it's only 50 power level. And I have a feeling we may be playing, I don't know, but I have a feeling we may be playing certain missions where you're restricted with the units you can take, perhaps a smaller power level in some games. Um, so I'm thinking maybe two units of five might be more flexible mm. um, and a unit of Blade Guard veterans. Um, and then I was going to take one Dreadnought with a, a unit of five Hellblasters, um, but I'm mm. thinking about dropping the Hellblasters and taking a second Dreadnought. So I'll have two Dreadnoughts. So they're my two vehicles because I haven't got any other tanks or anything like that. And I, I'd like a mix. And I've got a mix of close combat with a captain and the Blade Guard veteran. I've got a mix of anti-infantry with the heavy intercessors and intercessors. Uh, I've got some anti-tank with the plasma um, incinerator on the um, is it macro plasma incinerator, I think, on the Dreadnought. Mm. Um, and then a heavy onslaught Gatling cannon for some sort of more anti-infantry. Um, so I've got all my bases covered there. Um, I'm not taking a chaplain. I, I, a chaplain is my sort of go-to for the ultramarines because chaplains have got some really good access to some good ultramarines um, litanies. They're not ultramarines litanies, it's just general litanies for adding... Um, improving your range like plus one to hit plus one to wound which works really well with the ultramarines you want to be shooting as well um, and one of my favorite combinations is the chaplain with a unit of hellblasters because they can really make those assault plasma incinerators really really nasty um, but i'm not taking a chaplain to to this weekend i wanted to take a librarian instead because i, I just i remember reading a really really cool piece of law in the ultramarines codex where um Ch- Ch- chief librarian tigerius was um uh, trying to sort of figure out what it always reminds me of pacific rim trying to figure out what the hive mind was up to and he sort of like uh, interrogated a, uh, a synaptic creature under like his psychic interrogation uh, and learned mm. about the hive mind and that story's always stuck with me and obviously this this um this crusade you know the tyranny is featuring it and i think having a librarian that's trying to interrogate that the, the hive mind in the sector might be quite cool so that's why the librarians are leading the, the army instead of a chaplain it's going, to be, it's going to be interesting to see what other people bring to this because i think i mean this is our first crusade event i don't know if it's uh warmer world's first crusade event but if it's not the first it's probably like the second or something along those lines but yeah i i'm i was sort of in this similar sort of mindset to jay i was like what what do I take? Is this too much? Is this too little? You know, et cetera, et cetera. But the the way I look at it is, Jay, is neither of us are taking a kill rig, so it can't be that bad. <laughs> <laughs> but 
I feel well, like I... Matt, even though he's not here. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> Um, yeah, this this is their first Crusade event, so never been done before. Yeah, I'm so really looking forward to it. Yeah, I I don't know what to expect. It's like, so it's gonna be it's gonna be really cool to to see what happens. And I I think looking at your ultrarines, even with the two dreads, I think you're fine. I I, I wouldn't worry. Yeah, I, I, I I'm not 100 made up my mind yet. I just think the the the, the two dreadnoughts. Um, Obviously, a, a, a unit of five Hellblasters, I think is quite, it's it's only a small unit, and really the Hellblasters shine with all those buffs, and I didn't want to take the Chaplain, you know, I wanted to use a Librarian this weekend, um, so I, I think the Hellblasters might struggle to do anything, and obviously you still want to try and give the opponent a good game, um, so yeah, I, I'm thinking the Dreadnought's going to be the better option, plus it gives me a bit of, of more um, anti-tank, because obviously I haven't got any Eradicators either, which is with the melter rifles which is mm. where the anti-tank traditionally comes from and I, and i know i know there's going to be kill rigs there for example so you do need something that can sort of threaten them uh, and that's where the plasma uh, dreadnought hopefully can can get a bit of work done um yeah so 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 we'll see i, I i'm not made up my mind yet but i think that's probably what i'm gonna do i um yeah i'm very jealous that you guys are getting to go to this because unfortunately i wasn't able to attend um, but it should be uh, a whole a whole lot of fun. Um, what you should do, Jay, is in your law you should make the um, the two dreadnoughts like um, brothers or something. Yeah, uh, I've not I've got names for army guys now, um, but I haven't come up with a backstory. Uh, the only thing I've got is like like the librarian. The, the captain's going to have ceded command of the uh, strike force to the librarian. This librarian obviously got a lot of experience with this particular enemy. Um, so my army sort of like an escort for this librarian on this perilous mission. I really, I just, I don't know what to expect. I'm just, you know, I'm expecting like really cool story developments and really cool, interesting mission objectives. And it's going to be, I mean, I guess next week on the podcast, we'll be talking about it so we can sort of, you know, let people know what, what it was like. Um, but yeah, I just want to have a really, really good time. And, um, yeah, I think it's going to be good. I, I mean, I've seen the list you guys are taking. It looks really, really cool. Um, so we'll we'll see. Yeah. So how, how did you get on on, on Sunday at the Unicorns? Oh. So, I mean, this was a really good event, actually. And Andy, Andy, you organised it. You were sort of running it, weren't you? Um, yeah. I mean, being part of a PSU, there's me, um, Craig, and then there's like another third party. Um but yeah, we we tend to take it in turns, and Craig's run the last three, I think it was. So I, I don't get me wrong, I borrowed his voice. He's got a much louder voice than mine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for the most part, it was it was kind of like my first event running, which which is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it, I didn't get to play, but yeah, not this time, no. Um, so it was it was really cool. So I'll just go over. So I took I took a thousand, uh, 1250 points. It was so I had my ultramarine. So I had. I had um, a unit of 10 intercessors, another unit of five intercessors with just bolt rifles. They're like their mainstay of any Ultramarines army list I build. I had a Primaris Captain with some Victrix Honor Guards, which was my like sort of melee sort of um, component of my list. I had my trusty Redemptor Dreadnought, but with the Heavy Onslaught Gatling Cannon, I use this in pretty much every Ultramarines list I write. I really love the Dreadnoughts. The Redemptor Dreadnought kit is just so good. It basically just like the old Dreadnought times 100 it's it's wicked mm. and it's like really bulky loads of armor plates on it. i just really love the model so i always include that and then i had 
a chaplain who was my warlord and he was the um, master of sanctity so he can he knows two extra litanies uh, and he can um, he can inspire them on a on a two plus which is really really cool um with his warlord trait wise orator um and then i took a unit of three eradicators and a unit of 10 hellbusters with plasma incinerators so um the the, the chaplain buffing the primaries hellbusters with um, assault incinerators they're getting 30 shots uh, most of the time they're hitting on um plus one uh, two sorry with plus one to hit with the chaplain buff and then against the closest target they're, they're wounding with plus one as well so strength six wounding on plus ones from the chaplain's buff as well so you can use them to sort of try and um negate the the strongest uh, units on the on the enemy side you, there's some really cool uh, strategy you can use like all specs and things to to get them to shoot if you position them correctly against units that come in from reserves and things like this um i also i don't know i've never used this item before but i was flicking through the codex um while i was writing my list and and it's the seal of oath which is an ultramarine's relic from the codex ultramarine supplement and basically at the beginning of the game you choose a uh, uh, a unit on the opponent in the opponent's army and every ultramarines core and character i think it is it could just be every ultramarines you know after check um within six inches of the bearer gets to re-roll all hits and all wounds against that target um so you you know you you pick the nastiest so i i, I pick like a leviathan dreadnought in one of my games and then my hellbuster volley guns are, they're hitting on twos wounding on threes normally with the buffs re-rolling everything um so they they can get stuff done um mm. so that was my list uh, in the first game, I went against Matt <laughs> and his mm-hmm. um, his um, beast snaggers. So Matt had, um, I think he had the the special character on the great white squig. He had a couple of knobs, I think, on the squigs as well. Um, a big unit of six squig boys on the squig hogs. Another unit of three on the squig hogs. Uh, pain boy, the big beast boss guy. I think he had two units of ten beast snagger boys. And the um, the big kill rig. Um, so so I knew I was going to be in for a fight against these guys. They're so quick. I knew they were going to be in my lines turn one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I used my seal of oath on the um, on the big unit of six squig hogs. Um, he held his kill rig in reserve and he on the teleporter pad. Is it a green teleporter pad? So yeah, I yeah. knew that was going to be coming in nine inches away from whatever. It, I, I suspected my dreadnought would be going down when that arrived. Um, but there wasn't much I could do with only a small force. You can't really zone out your deployment zone to stop him from coming down. And even if you could zone out your deployment zone, he's still going to come out nine inches in front of you in his own no man's land or whatnot. So there wasn't much I could do about that coming down. I couldn't select it as a target for the seal of oath because it wasn't on the board. Um, so I got the first turn, luckily. So I put down a load of firepower into the six squig. Um, I think they're called squig hog boys, aren't they? Um, and managed to um, destroy that unit entirely with the seal of oath and the different chaplain buffs and the hellblasters and the um, intercessors that are in front of the hellblasters. Oh, nice. um, and, and then I tried to then that, that allowed me then to target some of his characters. So he had his um, his two knobs and the um, it might not be a knob actually. It might be a, a, a boss on us. I think it was one knob and one boss on a squig. Yeah, I think he had character on the squig. Yeah, he had the special character. A war boss or beast boss, I think it's called, on the yeah. Squigasaur. And then he had two knobs on Squigs, which right. you take as one elite choice. Yeah, that was it then. So, yeah, so there were a lot of these characters on these Squig things. Anyway, by killing those six Squig boys, I was able to start targeting his characters, but they're just so tough. The, the beast snaggers, they have like transhuman physiology against strength seven or less. So, a lot of my guns were wounding on fours or fives anyway. 
Um, and then I think the characters or some of the characters were reducing the damage. The kill rig was reducing the damage. So I, I just wasn't able to do much damage at Rain. And then, of course, in his turn one, he crashed into my lines then. So and then, I mean, God, these things get so many attacks. Um, so I think that the, the, the bosses on the squigs were getting like 12, 13, 14 attacks or something. All, all hitting on twos, wounding my ultramarines on threes, you know, taking all my armor or most of my armor away, mortal wounds coming at me. And the, the, I, there was just not a lot I could do. Um, so so the, the, the Hellbasters and the Incessors sort of started dying pretty rapidly. And then um, and then the Killrig turned up as well in Matt's turn one from his teleporter. Um, and then just that, that thing is just bonkers. So um, a load of psychic powers came my way. Um, and then the, the, obviously the guns were auto-hitting me then. So my Dreadnought died. It managed to charge my primary captain and Blagar veterans who ha- I thought, you know, they've got their four plus invulnerable saves. They may be okay. But then the amount of attacks that things gets, um, it, I, I, you know, it was just too many attacks to, to make all those saves from. So so that, that flank sort of died. Uh, then in turn two, I didn't really have a lot left. Uh, I couldn't really do a lot of damage to the units that were there. The killer rig was sort of shaking everything. Um, the characters on the on the knobs and stuff, like the, the transhuman beast snagger rule was stopping me from getting many wounds through. And then uh, Matt's turn two, he basically wiped every unit that I had left <laughs> So that game ended at turn two. I think I managed to score five victory points in that game because I managed to get onto the objective in my first turn. So in my mm. second turn on the command phase, I was able to get that five points. Um, but then that was it. Then. So I think Matt ended up on 80-something odd command points, uh, victory points. So that was a fun game. Uh, <laughs> um, the, the Beast Snaggers were very strong against my Ultramarines list. Um, I, I, thinking back, whether I could have done anything a bit different, maybe I could have deployed a bit further backwards, but I think that probably would have just meant I would have survived into turn three because it would have maybe taken them an extra turn to reach my lines. Um, but it was it was interesting to see the Beast Snaggers in, in force um, and, and how they play. Um, the... Um, the, the 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 transhuman rule they have is is very good so, you know that that reduce uh, meaning you can only win them on fours with strength seven or less so a lot of my sort of like my heavy onslaught gatling cannon my plasma incinerators all strength six we're still only wounded on fours rather than threes um and then obviously the kill rig itself i mean i mean i also have 10 boys inside it i just can't understand how that's only 10 10 power level or whatever it is 100 and something points yeah, it's only like a uh, hundred and ninety points, I think it is. And yeah. there was um, there was another orc um, player who I think came second overall, a guy called Mike, and he's running uh, speed freaks before the um, uh, balanced data slate. And um, he, yeah, he had a kill rig as well, and it was um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so spoil, spoiler alert: Mike comes up when I start talking about my tournament. <laughs> <laughs> But it was it was a it was a it was a fun game in the, in that it was great to see um, uh, the beast snaggers in action on the table and Matt's done a great job painting that army up in such a short span of time as well and like I mean I just I just went all in in that game I I knew I knew I was going to struggle because I knew the beast snaggers I've got some strong rules and then after Matt's turn one I I, I could see you know it wasn't going to end very well for me so that was like charging my hellbusters into combat against his um, great white squig and things like that because you know I didn't have anything to lose at that point. Um, so it was good, and, and the Ultramarines have, uh, have a, a newfound respect for the uh, Greenskins uh, as a result of that battle. So obviously, <laughs> with that result, only five victory points, and I think I only killed one unit, which was those um, Squig Hog boys that I managed to kill with my seal of oath and the Hellbusters when I was at full strength. 
that put me right at the bottom table um, against um, Jason, who I think he's a Purple Spark Unicorns um, um, regular. He goes to the clubhouse and stuff. He's been at a lot of the tournaments, so I know him well. We've played a lot of games together, Blood Bowl and such, and he's got a really, really gorgeous-looking um, Space Marine Primaris army that he's been building now for quite a while, actually, but you can tell it's a labour of love. So he's he's got a Carcaradon army, uh, which he uses the White Scar rules for. But he's gone to he's gone that extra mile on all of his models where he's painted all of the different tattoos and things. So if you look up the Carcaradons online, you'll see that they've got this like all these tattoos and markings across their armor and, and the skin and things. And he's really really lavishing that detail and attention on those models. So it's not complete. The army wasn't complete. It was still work in progress. I think he had some characters finished. His dreadnought was finished. But he was still working through the rest of his army. But, I mean, I can see it taking him a while to complete, but the end result's going to look fantastic. So it was really, really cool to play against an army, which you can tell it wasn't the most tuned army by any stretch. You know, the, the, the optimum units and things, he hadn't taken them at all. You can tell he just loves this army and he's got a, he's got a vision for it. And he's not yeah. really concerned about how well it performs in tournaments. Um, so I really sort of in, embrace that sort of, what you call it, that, that attitude he's got. And I tried to give him a good game. I didn't want to, you know, use all my best combinations and things against him because I thought it's not fair, really. His army was obviously a lot weaker than, than my army in the composition. So I tried to give him a good, good game on, on that guy. So so it was a really, really fun game. I think there were seven victory points in it at the end, but there were some really, really cool moments. So we... Um, we, I, I used my seal of oath on his Leviathan Dreadnought. It was the most powerfully threatening thing on his side of the board, so it made sense to use that. And in the first turn, I was able to focus a lot of firepower on the Leviathan Dreadnought, and I wasn't able to kill it outright with my Hellblasters. I had to use um, other units as well, my Eradicators and my Incessors, to finish it off and destroy his um, Leviathan. And that was really yeah. the only thing I um, took out in the first turn. And then he had some um, Eradicators that he used. I can't remember what stratagem it was or what rule it was he had, but he was able to bring them on. Um, right next to me in his first turn. I, I think it's called encircling or something. It might be a white scarce thing. Um, so these six eradicators turned up and returned the favour and destroyed my dreadnought. Um, <laughs> so it was 1 1 at that point. It was cool. On the left hand flank, he had a um, Primaris captain, the same as me with the with the relic shield and the, the uh, power sword. He had a unit of three blade guard veterans and an apothecary coming down my left flank. So I put on my left flank, I put my Primaris captain and my Vitrix Honor Guard, and I thought, you know, we'll we'll have a duel in the middle there. So it got to the point where he was able to uh, declare a charge against me, and I had a unit of 10 Hellblasters just sitting there right next to it. And the Ultramarines have got a really, really cool stratagem called Defensive Focus. And what it lets you do is you've got your regular Overwatch um, stratagem, so a unit can Overwatch when they're declared a target of a charge, but then you can also use Defensive Focus, which lets you pick three other Ultramarines units within six inches or 12 inches, I can't remember, within range of the unit that's being charged, and they can fire Overwatch as if they were the target of the charge. So I could have activated that on the Hellblasters and the unit of five incestors that I had nearby, um, and the Eradicators, actually, to um, shoot his captain and his Blagar veterans that were charging in. But I thought, you know what? We're not going to do that. So we didn't fire any Overwatch, and we met them blade to blade in the middle of the board. <laughs> and this was such a cool fight. So... Uh, we had the two Primaris captains fighting each other. Then we had the the um, Victrix Honor Guard fighting the Blade Guard veterans because we were sort of like the bodyguards were fighting each other. Um, <laughs> there was an opportunity where I could have attacked the Apothecary. Uh, 
but I decided not to. You know, the apothecary, Jason did the same thing. He didn't make any attacks with the apothecary. He let these champions fight each other while the apothecary... Apparently in Carcaradon lore, the apothecary stay on the um, on the battle barges and the strike cruisers and don't come down to the fights. Um, oh, so right. he, he didn't want to fight with him. He was just there to basically bring these Blade veterans back to life with their combat revivals or whatever it's called. So I didn't land any blows on the apothecary. Anyway, uh, after a couple of turns, my Primaris captain was able to slay his Primaris captain in combat. Um, and But his Blagar veterans were able to avenge his lord and take down my Primaris captain. Uh, so then my Victrix Honor Guard then, I think he managed to kill one of the Victrix Honor Guards. So I had one Victrix Honor Guard left fighting this apothecary and a couple of Blagar veterans. It was such a cool thing in the middle going on. Um, so yeah, so like I say, that, um, that combat... Oh, there was a really, really cool charge he made with his Phobos Librarian. Um, so White Scars have got some really, really cool tricks in the uh, when the Assault Doctrine is active. They can fall back and charge, uh, and they get plus one damage to their melee attacks on the charge as well. Um, oh, nice. So his li- Phobos Librarian was doing some serious damage to me, Incestors on the right-hand side, um, until he finally got um, um, laid low by the uh, the Sergeant of the Incestor Squad. Uh, so yeah, so that was my second game. Uh, I think it was something like 57-50 or 54-47. There was like seven victory points in it. It wasn't much at all. Um, so then going into game three, uh, the final game of the day, that put me against Jamie and his um, Tyranids. So you would like this army, Dave. I can't remember what high fleet he was using now. I want to say Kraken. He was very fast. Is that Kraken, Dave? When, when he was advancing, was he rolling 3d6? And he was, yeah, 3d6. Yeah. So he was playing Kraken, yeah. Kraken, yeah. So this was a Kraken. It was painted up with like red skin and dark bluish sort of um, carapace. So I don't know if that's cracking. It, it or was not. Um, no, no. He they were painted really as Bearmoth, which is the high fleet that I I went for, but I painted by Tyranids. Right. Um. But yeah, this was a really really nice army. Um. And I was actually surprised when I was looking at it close that it didn't get a a best army nomination. Um. I, mm. I imagine it was considered because it did look really really nice. He had lots of gene stealers. Um, he had a swarm lord. He had, I'll come to this unit in a minute. He had, um, uh, I don't know if he's a Tyrannifex, is it like an artillery piece? Not a biovore, bigger than the, a biovore. Yeah, uh, ex- Exocrine. Exocrine, it could be, yeah, at the back of the board. Um, he had a brood lord, and then he had a unit of six um, zone thropes. Oh boy, those zone thropes were amazing. Dave, you need to get a unit of I six do. zone thropes. I do, so, I definitely do. Yeah, they, they were putting down a load of mortal wounds in the psychic phase. They were almost impossible to take off the board with their free plus invulnerable save. They did so much damage to me. They killed eradicators. They killed hellblasters. Um, there was a really, really cool bit in the middle where I'd, I'd use my um, seal of oath on the swarm lord. Obviously, the swarm lord was the most terrifying. Dave's used the swarm lord against me. I know exactly mm-hmm. what a swarm lord can do. So I used my seal of oath against the swarm lord. Um, but I couldn't get to it. It wasn't the closest target, so I couldn't benefit from the chaplain's, uh, I can't remember if it's recitation of focus or catechism of fire, the plus one to wound closest target. Um, and I had a big unit, big blob of gene stealers coming right at my hellbasters and intercessors. Um, so there was a big shooting match and then a big melee in the middle. The gene stealers took a lot of casualties on the way in from my firepower, but then when they did get in, they basically wiped out the um, uh, intercessors and a lot of the hellbasters, actually. Um, but there was one gene stealer left and it was the closest target. And in my, it was like second or third turn, I had a bead on the Swarm Lord. Uh, I only had one more turn to shoot it before it got to my lines. Uh, and I really wanted to make use of the plus one to wound. So that one last gene steal, I had to die. Ultramarines have got a really cool rule where they can fall back and fire. So I fell back and I, I fired bolt rifles into it. I fired plasma pistols into it. I fired 
uh, absolver bolt pistols from chaplains into it, heavy bolt pistols from primaries captain. Would that gene stealer die? No, it would. Dreadnought <laughs> fired everything it had at it. Would it die? No, it didn't die. So I'm looking around. I've got anything left I can shoot. It's only got one wound and a five plus six. What I'm saying? Nothing. That one gene stealer prevented me from benefiting from catechism of fire against the swarm lord. The, Jamie said he's going to give him a medal or paint in gold or something after his performance <laughs> in that game. Uh, so I had to shoot Hellbass design and split fire and things like that, uh, which meant the swarm lord survived. Um, and then. Um, I can't, I, think, I can't remember now. I think, actually, at the end of the game, I managed to charge into the Swarm Lord with my Primaris Captain, um, which yeah, is suicidal, really. And I think the Primaris Captain wounded him, but then got cut down, as you'd expect. And I think it was my chaplain in the end that had to charge in and finish the Swarm Lord off towards the end of the game. Um, but that was a victory to the Ultramarines in the end, and I can't quite remember the score, but I think it was only, it was only 10 or so points in it. It was a very close game as well. So um, after the first pasting I had at, at the hands of Matt, I had two really, really close games after that. Um, and I think, actually, I ended up finishing 10th overall, which I was quite happy with. Yeah, um, you did. And um, on top of that as well, I got a, 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 a painting nomination as well for, for the Ultramarines. So there was some really, really good armies there. I think there was a great Sisters of Battle army that... That, um, that he was a, the chap he won it actually, and, and rightly so. His army was very, very nice. A very, very unique color scheme for his sisters of battle, like dark grays and um, uh, and blacks, and, and then um, like a purpley sort of reddish uh, off, off color on the robes. Really, really impressive job he'd done that. And these characters as well, you, they were really, really nice. Um, there was a really, really nice orc army, which I think Dave was the one you fought as well, which had lots of buggies and things in, which was painted in really sort of like uh, individual sort of color schemes across his units, which worked really well for an orc army. Um, there was a really, really nice Salamander's army. Um, uh, this really, really, really vibrant green on these lava bases. Um, and I think that was it, Andy. Was there any others? Uh, I think there was the Harlequin army. That oh, was yes, the Harlequin. As well. uh, yeah, and Harlequins painted well always look fantastic. And this this one did look very, very, very good as well with lots of different sort of colour schemes across the different units as well, which, which really suits the Harlequins. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I was happy to get the nomination for the Ultramarines. I've spent a lot of time on the Ultramarines over the years, so it was nice to get a little certificate to put behind them in the display cabinet. Um, and that was my tournament. Um, it was really, really fun to play. Three great opponents, three great armies, really, really good day. Uh, I think everyone enjoyed themselves. Just shame you couldn't play, Andy. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Hopefully how did you get on, Dave? Yeah, so I took along my, uh, my Necrons. Um, I've only used them a, a, sort of a handful of times before. Um, this particular um, tournament, I had a uh, Overlord um, with a Chronomancer as my HQs. I had two units of ten Necron Warriors. I had a, uh, a unit of five Immortals. I had a unit of three Scorpec Destroyers. I had a Plasma Sight. I also had a Doomsday Arc, and of course, maybe not the most competitive at 1250 points but i did also have a void dragon as well um, because i just finished paying him and i just wanted to use him (laughs) um it was um yeah it was a really good day Uh, my first game was against the aforementioned mike and his speedwar um so it was it was all sort of um buggies and stuff aside from the fact he had a kill rig and oh boy, oh boy. I mean, Mike is a really nice guy. I've known Mike for years. He used to shop in a, a few shops that I used to work in in town. Um, but we'd never had a, a game of Warhammer against each other. Um, and to be honest, it was not a long game at all. Um, he had turn one and 
he he pretty much like almost tabled me turn one. It was it was horrific. I I don't know what I could have done different. You know, I didn't set up super aggressively or super defensively, but um he had two flyers which had something crazy like thirty or forty shots each. He was he had loads of AP on all these weapons. He was hitting with most of you know with a lot of them you know considering he's playing an orc army like yeah, they were so good at shooting. Many, yeah, I, I, they get so many attacks shooting wise, which you think okay they've only got a five plus ballistic skill, but you know occasionally they all hit and they do super damage. And then in combat as well, they get so many attacks. <laughs> yeah. I think well, the um, the flyers they, then they get like forty shots that hit on fours. Not yeah, because they've got, they got, like, got rock, rock guns rock and yeah. stuff, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it was, um, the, the, to be honest, as an orc army, you didn't really see combat. I think his kill rig and his um, war boss on the, the trike got combat into, in turn two and, and killed my um, overlord. Um, or it could have been my chronomancer. But, yeah, it, it was brutal. I, I didn't really get to, to do much. In my first turn, the Void Dragon had a nine-inch charge on his kill rig. You know, even at this point, I thought, this is really going to be token. Um, but if I could take down his kill rig, then, you know, it all goes towards points. Uh, rolls, I roll a four on the charge. I spend a CP. I re-roll my charge and roll a double one. <laughs> of course I mean, you did. Of course the you curse did. of my nine-inch charges will, <laughs> doesn't matter what army I'm playing, um, I will always fail them. So... Yeah, it was a very, very short game. I think I, I don't I didn't score any kill points, I didn't kill anything of his. Um and I think I scored something like twenty eight victory points um to his eighty something. Um so yeah, it was it was absolutely, absolutely brutal. And and sent me hurtling down the tables towards UJ. Um I think, I think toward, we were on the tables the next to each other for the whole tournament after that, you know. Yeah. Well, my my second game was against a really nice guy called Alistair, who I'd seen at a previous event. He had a very nice looking heresy era painted Death Guard army, um, and he was actually using the the terrain piece from the Death Guard as well. Uh, and he was telling me about all the the better. He actually sold it to me. I think I'm gonna have to pick one up for my um, Death Guard. Um, a really cool game. Um, I think actually. It was starting to swing into my favour, but unfortunately we ran out of time to finish the game, um, and he and he just pipped me on um, victory points. But it was a it was a super close game, very strategic. Um, the Void Dragon actually made it into combat with his terrain piece and and destroyed that in one, you know, swift blow, uh, which was pretty pretty cool. Um, but because um, it's a vehicle as well, which is odd, the terrain features have the vehicle keyword. Not it's quite true. sure why. Okay. I want, I, yeah, it must be so it can interact with stuff like that, I guess. But, yeah. Yeah, it's strange. Isn't it? Yeah, very strange. Um, but yeah, Alistair just picked me on that one. Um, so it was a second, a second loss, sadly, for the Necrons. Um, my third game um, that had me playing against Jack um, and his Orc army. So I, I faced the Orcs twice oh, okay. uh, in one day. So it was. It was brutal. He had a very different kind of orc army, though. He had sort of mega knobs. He had a truck. He had um, quite a number of death dreads. I think he had three death dreads in total. Um, mm-hmm. Which, yeah, I, I mean, you'd have fun against that then with the um, with your the void um, dragon. Void well, dragon, I fell yeah. I fell into a bit of a trap with the the void dragon because he had a bomber. I can't remember what the actual name of it is, and he he flew it right into the corner of my deployment zone. It did a little bit of damage. 
But because I, I could see what these planes, they, they were going to cause me trouble, <laughs> I sent my Void Dragon over. He managed to make a turn one charge on it and, and blow it up. Because, again, he took the first turn, I went second. Um, but by doing that, it sent my Void Dragon into the corner of the board. So when like he, he used the Teleportarium to bring down the Death Dreads on the other side, and they had a Death Dread in his deployment zone, I was I was too far away from any vehicles then uh, for the yeah. rest of the game. So he, he spent the rest of the game chewing up orcs, which he which he will ha- happily do, but it wasn't securing me anything. You know, he no. wasn't I wasn't gaining any points from that. Um, and uh, it's so crucial in 40k now to pick the right secondaries. I stupidly because I'd gone with the same secondaries in the first and second game, which were fine. I did okay on secondaries apart from when Mike nearly tabled me, but um, I, I I just instinctively went for those three again in this third game, but then uh, uh, one of which was the Treasures of the Ions, which is a, a Necron one where the opponent picks three objectives. Well, in that last game, there were two objectives in his deployment zone. Yeah, there were six. So objectives as soon as exactly, yeah. So as soon as I said to him, "You need to pick three objectives to my secondary," I thought, "Why have I done that?" Because he's clearly going to pick the two in his deployment zone, which he did. Yeah, I yeah. scored nothing for that um, in that game, which was which was a silly mistake. If I'd have picked a better, se- a better secondary, you know, I could have maybe um, made it at least a lot closer. Because in the end, I think he won by a good ten or twenty victory points. Um, so, wasn't there um, a really funny moment when the truck exploded? <laughs> yes, there was. He had um, a unit of five mega knobs in a truck. Um, and um, it, I blew it up, uh, and you obviously have to roll each uh, a dice for each model in that um, truck, and, a, and, and on a one, they're, they're dead. He rolled three ones. On five dice, he rolled three ones, kill, killing three of his mega knobs, leaving two. I mean, they are expensive <laughs> in points, aren't they? Um, yeah, they in are. the end, all they really did was just sit on an objective, which was such a shame, you know, Mega knobs need to be in combat, but they were just sat on this little objective, um, keeping that that pointed for him. So, yeah, it's um, it, it was a, it was a great game. Jack's a, a really nice guy. Um, he, he did pick me again, which meant it was three losses. Sadly, I was in the running for the for the the wooden spoon, but didn't secure that either. Um, yeah, it was it was a great day though, and you know, it, it, I'm learning a lot about the Necrons. I've, I've played a few games of them now. Um, and I know kind of where I need to sort of tweak. Taking the Void Dragon was probably just not the greatest choice. I should have taken bigger units of Necron Warriors, but it's a new shiny model syndrome. I really wanted to take it, and he, he yeah. you know, he did, he did do, he did do okay. But you enjoyed using it. That's some yeah. He didn't secure me thing. points, which is obviously the name of the game. Really, is 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 securing points. Um, I think so I don't yeah. know about you, Dave, but I, I, um, I, um. Because we've been playing so much Crusade, and the agendas and things are a bit, they work a bit differently. And I don't think there's as much pressure in a Crusade game to optimize no. your secondaries and things. And I, I do find it a bit harder to play match play, you know, competitively in that sort of environment because you do have to sort of exploit and maximize all those opportunities you get and make sure you pick the right secondaries and things. And there's, there's a lot of thought that goes behind that. I just think it's inexperience really. Um, yeah. I know the secretaries I picked, I just picked the three same secretaries in each one. And I think I think most of the time I wasn't doing very well on the secondaries. It was mostly the primaries where I was getting my points. Um, and I think 
maybe if I, I give a bit more thought because it's not just your secondaries, it's also your army composition, isn't it? That to support the secondaries. So if you take something like yeah. engaging all fronts, you need to make sure you're taking terminates to deep strike in or impulses with troops inside so you can reach those table quarters. It's no good taking that one if you've just built a foot sogging army. And that might no. mean that actually some of the other secondaries are very hard to achieve. Um, so perhaps your army list isn't. But then I didn't want to take, you know, terminators and things. So, uh, yeah, it, I enjoyed all three games. I don't know about you, Dave, but I do find it a lot harder to play match play nowadays. I, I much prefer. Yeah, sort of. Um, I I like secondary objectives. I think I like in a match play game. Um, it requires a lot more thought and it's supposed to be a tactical tabletop game, not just blowing yeah. your opponent away. Um but you're, you're absolutely right. I think, especially with match play tournaments, you've, you've got to have in mind secondary objectives that work with how your army is built. So, like you say, when you're building your army, thinking to yourself, right, if I'm taking these units, what kind of secondaries can I push towards? And, and we're seeing a lot more kind of like warlord traits and stuff where you can perform actions and things without interrupting um, shooting yeah. and stuff. And you got to be thinking, you know, that might not be the... It, it, sort of air, co- air commas sexiest choice of warlord trait but actually um it could be quite good to to gain like your um it's gonna win your your sort of data stuff yeah, yeah yeah you know it might not be plus one damage or whatever but it you know it could it could be quite clutch in a game well what i think the, it, as well you're right sorry andy you go mate uh well they did the um 40k survey recently and one of the negatives that I put, literally the only negative that I could really think of was, I think with, with 40k, especially with match play, I mean, obviously we didn't play a huge amount of it, but I, it it tends to feel like overly complicated at times. And one of the things that I like, I, I love the secondaries. Like I think they add so much to the game. But I think having to factor in the primary, then you have to factor in three yeah. different secondaries. It, it feels too much to me. Like, if they just had one secondary objective that you picked and you got some bonus points for it, that to me would be fine because you've also got to think about terrain and stuff. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but obviously we did the, um, we, we this event was 1250. We've done it in the past where we've done 1500 points for one day and we've done it at a thousand. What, what, what did you guys think about the points values? Um, I, I didn't mind the points values actually. And like, it's been a bit weird because I've been writing a 50 power level armies now for um the crusade weekend and that extra 250 points does let you take a few units that you just enjoy taking um mm. so i i think it wasn't a bad um um point size uh, and i do like the smaller games so yes yeah, so i think it was an okay point size really um i thought the tables were very good so we had a good amount of scenery and stuff which is always important it was really nicely painted. i think i think craig had been painting some old craig one of the, the chief purple unicorn um yeah me 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 and craig i just want to put oh you do so as well oh nice one oh yeah really really cool really really cool so um so yeah so i i don't i don't mind i mean i can't remember last time we had it i think the last 2000 point game dave i had was ultramarines versus death guard where you um you obliterated the death the ultramarines with your well it wasn't the death guard army was it it was just that one guy with the flavor (laughs) (laughs) you still won that on points but yeah i won it on um... points yeah but there was not many ultramarines going back to the crag. <laughs> yeah. So, you, but yeah, but I think I think Dave you made a good point. I think when you're playing match play, you, you almost 
have to you can't just take the units that you want to take you have to consider how they're going to work with the secondaries and like you know and like you say the choice of warlord traits and things it can change a bit can't it it's not as straightforward i don't think as crusade it doesn't feel like a it doesn't feel as much as like a beer and pretzel sort of game no play, to me personally like playing 2000 points of 40k for me yeah I mean, we saw it at the event, or at least I saw it at the event. There was a lot of players not finishing their games, not getting past turn three and stuff. And for yeah. me, you know, I mean, we only did an hour and 45 minutes for a round. So, it was, you know, it was shorter rounds and stuff. Um, but, yeah, playing the 2,000-point game, if you if you can't get to that point where you're finishing turn three in about two and a half hours, to me personally, I feel like I'm playing too many points. So, it... Mm. It's an it's an interesting topic for another day, but yeah. it's all about the balance, isn't it? You wouldn't, I, I wouldn't like to see it lose a lot of its tactical edge. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think if you wanted, like you say, Andy, a, a beer and pretzel game, you, you you play a different system. I think um, you kind of want to keep a level of um, it being, you know, slightly complicated to to make it more interesting. But that's, I mean, that's that's my personal uh, opinion. Um, I, I like it as it is. I think this is the best edition we've had. Uh, oh, and I'm very easily. happy where it's at. Yeah. Yeah, easily. Ninth edition is by far the best edition of 40k we've ever had, hands down. Um. So, yeah, it was it was absolutely fantastic um, day. Uh, outside of outside of the tournament, uh, hobby-wise, I've, I've been quite busy with um, my little one's birthday and stuff, but I've, I've managed to build a few more marine units. I, I did come away with the sort of the new books and stuff. I've been very tempted to pick up some stuff for my Tyranids, but I'm really determined now to get some Death Watch painted. I really want to use the Death Watch army. I think the next time we have a 40k game, um, Andy, Jay, uh, I'll be using Ooh. the Death Watch because um, I really want to try them out. Um, so I want to get a few more of those painted. And I want to catch up on the Imperium magazine series as well, because I want to continue painting Necrons and I want to build, uh, paint some more Death Watch. So um, that's definitely well, what's going to be on my desk. I think you'll have, um, as we come to the news, you'll have some uh, Xenos to fight with your Death Watch going into the new year, Dave. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, Andy, that just leaves um, your good self. What have you been up to in the hobby this week? Um, so, obviously, um, oh, God, what's up to? So, uh, me and Craig painting up some buildings for the uh, 40K event that we've just been talking about uh, last week. Um, and then since probably ooh, this time last week, I've been painting up my Grey Knights for the Crusade event this weekend. So I wanted to go for a nice all-round list, a low model count army, that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, I've gone for a list that is basically built around Terminators um, and a Nemesis Dreadknight. So I've managed to get them all to a battle-ready standard. So we're all, all the base coats are done, all the washes are done. I've done a few highlights, like I've, I've dry-brushed the swords. Swords uh, look really good. Yeah, I mean, it was just um, Thousand Suns Blue, uh, Black Wash, and then Dry Brushed um, Imric Blue, I think it was. Um, but yeah, I've just done some like basic highlights for now. Uh, and then I've done all the bases, magnetized all the bases. And on my painting desk, as I'm speaking now, is the Nemesis Dread Knight, who, um, again, I, I've, I've done all his base coats, I've done all his washes, 
I haven't done any highlights yet, but I've been focusing on the base today. So I've just been putting down some texture paint. Um, disaster struck uh, yesterday where I actually ran out of texture paint. So I had to pop into our local games workshop today. Yeah. Uh, some texture paint. So I put some texture paint on his base. Um, and yeah, it's, the, it's still drying. It's been about three and a bit hours and it's still drying. So um, yeah. <laughs> I've been in that situation before. Well, I'll, I'll leave that until tomorrow, I think. But um, yeah, it, it's just a case now of magnetizing the base of the Nemesis Dreadnought, then basically just relearning Crusade or just you know going through it. And um, you know, I know Matt's written some uh, narrative for his beast naggers that he's taken for the event. So I'm like, do the similar sort of thing and fully embrace the Crusade and just. Not loads, but I might write like a little paragraph of narrative for my army, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, that's it. It's just, just to prep you, get you in the mindset, isn't it, for the weekend? Because yeah. it is a completely different sort of, you're not going necessarily to win, you know, as many games as you can and collect as many. You're going to try and tell a story with your own army. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, with um, Grey Knights as well, one of the cool things about Crusade is you can introduce a... Uh, demon nemesis um mm. so i've i've got um uh, i've got like heralds of nurgle painted up so i'm going to take um a herald of nurgle but i've based my gray knights the same way as my herald of nurgle so they kind of look like a cohesive thing even though gray knights and demons wouldn't be on the same side or whatever but um and the reason battlefield. yeah exactly yeah yeah um but the reason why i've done that is as my demons range expands i can change up the nemesis the the, the demon mm. nemesis um and change it up but yeah for for this crusade event i kind of want a bit of narrative between my librarian who's leading the force and this demon character so yeah. for me that that's going to be sort of like the main um narrative drive for for the army this this coming weekend um other than that i've just been um trying to uh, complete as many hobby resolutions as I possibly can. Um, so my, mine's a bit different from yours because I sort of like joined the podcast halfway through the year. But um, I've got a list of about 15 different hobby resolutions. And as of recording, I've done about nine of those 15. So I'm sort of I'm getting there. There's there's a little bit more to do. So I've been you know converting a model, been reading. Um, been reading the Dominion book, so um, that sort of stuff. But yeah, in terms of painting, it's been been the Grey Knights. But I'm I'm getting to that stage now where I'm, I want to get the Grey Knights done. I want to get them to a stage that I'm happy with, and then move on to something. Because during lockdown last year, one of the nice things about painting was I was able to paint without a deadline. Mm, and yeah. now that I'm painting these Grey Knights with a deadline. I'm not enjoying it as much as I no. would if I was painting some normal stuff. So, yeah, I mean, after this event, we've got the Age Sigma team tournament in about two weeks' time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, end of the month, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but I don't have to paint anything for that, so that's all right. Um, so yeah, I'm looking at um, yeah, painting up some uh, Underworld Warbands, specifically the uh, Lumineth. Oh, Lumineth, yeah, nice. 
Brilliant stuff. Um, sounds like we've been quite busy in the old hobby this week. Probably one of the biggest intros we've had for the <laughs> <Yeah>. show. <laughs> um, it's a good job, well, Matt, isn't it, actually? <laughs> yeah, otherwise we'll be going over an hour into the intro. Um, we do have plenty more to talk about as well, so we're going to take a pause, grab a fresh drink, and we'll be right back. At this point, I would normally go, so what do we have in this week's news, Matt? But I can't do that this week because Matt is unfortunately still at work. So I am stepping into the breach and will be covering this week's news. So forgive me if I forget anything. Hopefully, Andy uh, and Jay, you'll be able to shout at me if there's if there's something that I've missed. Um, but let, let's give this let's give this a go. So. As Matt would always do, we're going to start off with this week's pre-orders, and there is quite a bit. It's got a very Black Templar feeling about it, um, as it's pr- pr- basically all 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 uh, all um, Black Templar Black stuff. Templars, yeah. yeah. So we've got the, the Codex, uh, that's up for pre-order. And um, we also have quite a few characters. The High Marshal Helbrecht, he's available. I believe he's going to be around twenty-nine pounds. Uh, Grimaldus and his retinue, same price. They're also up for pre-order. Um, the Emperor's Champion, Castellan and Marshall. Uh, the Marshall, that's the one that you got in the um, launch box, wasn't yeah. it? It's really cool that they've re- you know, they're releasing all these kits separately so that you don't, you know, you, you've not missed out by not picking up that limited edition set or, you know, the launch set. Um, and you've not had to wait long to pick up these compacts individually. Because, um, no. I mean, they are really nice. The Marshall kit and the Emperor's Children kit are so cool. Well, the the um the, the, the marshal I'm very tempted, or I was very tempted to make a Death Watch um Death Watch captain out yeah. of and do some kit yeah, bashes cool with that. Idea. Um, he's up for pre-order at twenty one pounds, same as the Castellan. Empress Champion slightly more expensive at twenty three fifty. Um, you we also have some units of the Primaris Crusader Squad that's up for pre-order at thirty six pound fifty. Um, the really cool Sword Brethren Squad is also up for pre-order for thirty four pounds fifty. Um, I love this unit. Like if I was to collect a Black Templar army, this would probably be one of the first units I picked up. Um, so they're very old so school, cool. aren't they? With the um, different weapon loadouts, they almost remind me of the old um, Vanguard veterans, are they? Veterans, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah so it's cool. I mean, normally it's very rare you see now Games Workshop released armies with such mixed weapon loadouts, which I think, from a competitive point of view, is probably not great because you, you you want to focus a unit really i think in ninth edition and jack of all trades um but but for pure looks yeah it's great absolutely um so we also have some upgrades and transfers of the black templars so if you put picked a black and intercessor squad or something like that and you want to give it a black templars feel um you can grab that and what's really cool with the upgrades this time around is they also have some crusade relics on there um which i would love to see um, well, not, they're not just Crusade, are they? The normal relics. Oh, well, this is it. Uh, and the Black Templars have a really cool sort of mechanic in their army where they can give squads relics. They can make them relic bearers, and some of those relics appear on this sprue. Um, Black Templars also get a, um, a special uh, weapon loadout for their vehicles, the, the multi-melter, which is on this sprue as well. Mm. But, yeah, it is cool, Dave, isn't it, to see, like, some of the artefacts and things you see in the Codex. Now I've got, you know, a visual representation of them, the actual models you can uh, bits you can put on your models uh, i hope that's something they carry forward yeah i might i might have to to, to grab something i mean i've bought quite a few upgrade kits because with my death watch i like to give them the where i can i know it's it's not always possible because of uh, easy build kits and you know having to buy some new upgrade kits but i try and give the more molded shoulder pads to say what chapter they're from um yeah. so i will be picking up a pack of these up so i can 
you know, make some of my uh, models Black Templars, but I may have to maybe pinch one or two of these um, extra bits. I, I quite like the book that's kind of, you can hang from the waist and I have to pinch that for something. Um, so, yeah, very, well, very, very cool. can be used as just generic Space Marine sort of. Like, they look good on mm. a Dark Angels uh, model and things like that, wouldn't they? So Yeah, absolutely. Um, we also have uh, some dice data cards, and I believe they are also going to have a Combat Patrol box up for pre-order on Saturday. Um, but I don't think we've seen the contents of this yet. Um, I don't know if you two have heard or seen anything about this. No, Is not this for the uh, Black Templars? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's in. it's been in the in the Codex, hasn't it? wasn't it? It was in the Codex. So I think we have seen it before. Okay. Um, so yeah, there's a compact patrol um, out on or for pre-order on Saturday as well. Uh, we've then just got some some books really. So that that rounds out all the the, the pre-orders. They're all up at 10 a.m. on Saturday. Um, obviously, you can pre-order through our relevant games links over on the website to help support us and get yourself a little bit of a bargain as well. But that is not the end of this week's news, because there's quite a few other little bits and pieces, starting with some Aeronautica Imperialis news. So um, we've, I think we've all got Imperialis models, but haven't had a game yet, have we? No. It, no. I, I haven't, but it's one of those games, a lot of the specialist games are something that I want to, I want to, do going into the next year um, I think there's going to be a few hobby resolutions built around that but yeah looking at the aeronautica stuff especially the um, the space marine stuff looks looks awesome yeah so I've been tempted to paint some imperial aircraft um, but what's really sold me is the news that we had on Monday that the Necrons are joining uh, the, the, the dogfights. So what we're going to be getting for the Necrons are the Doom Scythe, which can alternatively build the um, transport variant, uh, which is completely... Night Scythe, is it? Yeah, the Night Scythe. Mm, yeah. The Night Scythe is a different unit, I believe. The Night um, Scythe is a transport one, but are you thinking of the Forge World one? Yeah, sorry, yeah, you, you are right. The night side for the side. So yeah, you can. It's got one that can build either of those options. So one of them's a transport. The other one has like a basically a death ray. That's the doom scythe. And then yes, you're right. They are releasing uh, a night shroud, which is the forge world one. So they're doing um one of those for aeronautica as well. And um, they're actually painted. The ones that they previewed on Warcom are painted in my scheme as well. Uh, with Spain the orange kind of, I know absolutely. So this this may be the drive I need to play this game. I'm definitely going to have to pick these up, get these painted, and and have some dogfights. Because from, from what I can see, I mean, I played a few games of X-wing, love that, and and, and this is basically a Warhammer yeah. version of that. So um, plus, yeah. um, Warhammer World have started doing one day um, events for like um, specialist games like Aeronautica and. Um, Underworlds and kill team and stuff mm. like that. So it'd be cool to get some of that painted up, and then obviously we, you know, if we've got a Sunday off and we mm. <laughs> we're, we're lucky enough to get tickets or whatever, then yeah, we can go down to those. So it'd be pretty yeah, cool. yeah. Well, I'll definitely be joining in with some Necrons 100, 110%. We also have a new model coming for Necromunda for the for the 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 House Escher gang. It's called the Chimerix. And it is the oddest hybrid of various creatures I have ever seen. Um, to the point of which, actually, I don't know if I'm a massive fan of the model, 
Um, I think Matt really likes this. I don't know what you guys have, uh, are thinking. It's very weird, isn't it? it? It kind of, it's got like a, a crocodile lizard back half. Then it's got like almost a monkey lion body with almost like wings. It, yeah, it's, it, it looks, I like the paint job. Mm. It's a very strange looking model. Mm. It, it it looks to me like it would go really well in a Dark Eldar Archon's retinue or yeah. uh, the Beast um, Beastmaster um, entourage. Um, yeah, it's, it is odd, isn't it? But I mean, I guess that's what Necromunda is, isn't it? Just a place where they can make these odd models. Yeah, this this has obviously been pulled out of some kind of, I don't know, yeah. a container full of different <laughs> drugs and stuff in all sorts of concoctions and yeah this thing's been born so yeah absolutely creepy looking thing and um, but that's going to be up for pre-order from forge world for, for necromunda in the, the coming few weeks I'd, I'd imagine uh we've also had a little bit of a teaser and it was hidden in a kill team post where they were talking about the, the pathfinders um sort of tactics and things when playing kill team uh, i think you actually spotted this first jay um towards the bottom of the article yeah well they, they didn't make any secrets about it so it wasn't like an easter egg it's just you know i read to the bottom of the article and i saw this i posted it in our little whatsapp group but mm. yeah so this we've heard rumors of a um tau codex release early next year and in fact i think games which have confirmed it now they oh, have they yeah early early 2020 early 2022 we'll, we'll definitely be having a tau codex yeah so 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 what we've seen with most codex releases and battletone releases is that you at least get one new model uh for the army recently um so this obviously looks like um we're getting at least one new tau um model and from what we've read and what we've heard on the uh, rumor um mill um I, I have a feeling this might be uh, a, a new version of dark strider so he's like the pathfinder character for the tau which would go nicely with the new pathfinder options that we've had in kill team as well um so yeah so it's interesting i wonder if we'll find out anything else before christmas or or whether this will be now until next year when we finally get the tau codex but i've been really really looking forward to the tau codex. so i know dave you're a massive fan of the tau as well it's got mm. that anime mecha type feel to it which is quite popular mm. generally isn't it um, mm-hmm. But um, a couple of years ago, I managed to pick up a bargain of a Tau army, a massive Tau army. And obviously I've added to it as well over the years. I've added my Titan and whatnot. Um, and I, I, the only thing with Tau, I really like the idea of Tau, but I've struggled to use them because the rules are a bit all over the place. You need a lot of different books with all of the rules in. Uh, and I find them quite a complicated army to even put an army list together. Um, so I've been really, really looking forward to uh, a ninth edition codex for the Tau. Uh, obviously, you get the Crusade content with that, which is fantastic. Um, but it'd be really, really cool to see what they do to the Tau to make them sort of, you know, be, you know, to bring them into ninth edition. Um, I, I wonder if they're going to be quite brave with some of the mechanics and, you know, the marker lights and drones and the way things work and that. They're a uh, funny army, aren't they? Suits? Because they are this this sort of high technology army. Um, that that specialise in in range firepower, yet they hit on fours, um, yeah. and they rely on marker lights to get a buff to their ballistic skill. Um, so yeah, I, I'm with you, Jay. I, I think the army needs a, a refresh and 
they need to look at again marker lights and stuff and i think the drones the drones can sometimes the way their rules are written you know maybe it's because i'm not a tail player but i i just find that they're too complicated um so yeah, yeah interesting it, it, to see what they do. it always feels like hard work when i'm playing with my tail which, you know, you look at some armies, like look at the Beast Snaggers, for example. Everything just, you know, they get to reroll all the charges. They don't have to do anything special for that. They can call the wire and it boosts all the army, you know, attacks for the two turns. Uh, you know, everything is really, really cool rules, really, really powerful rules and very easy rules to use. So I'm not saying orcs are like a point and click army by any stretch, but, you know, the, the rules are easy to use. Whereas with Tower Finds, you've got that once per battle buff you can use if you stay still everything can re-roll hits or you know if you use the other one for a turn you can advance and fire or put your weapons count as assault rather than rapid fire or something like that i just yeah they're just they're just give me a headache but mm. i really want to use them so mm. I, i'm i'm really i'm really looking forward to that position code it'd be really cool to see what the crusade content is you know with the tower because obviously so they unlike the mechanicum you know where they're they're uh, technology is treated sacrosanct you can't change it you know what's there is the god emperor's will they can't mess about with it or develop it the town don't have any of those inhibitions and they're able to produce no. new tech and things like that so, so be cool to see how how that's reflected in the in the rules and um, but yeah so this looks like you go into the warhammer community article check out the tau pathfinder kill team article that went up a day or two ago and at the bottom you'll see like a silhouette of I think it's Dark Strider. I think it's 100% Dark Strider because it even says before we go, we've seen one more Pathfinder sneaking around the edge of our vision. It's it's yeah. definitely going to be him. Plus, his model at the moment is only available in fine cast, and and they're trying to get rid of those gradually yeah. over time. So, um, 100%, I think that's going to be Dark Strider or, or a new character altogether. Um, yeah. There is one more little bit of news, and I say little bit; it's actually quite a big bit of news uh, and that is on the 9th um, they released a Warhammer 40,000 balance data slate so the idea behind this is it's a new thing that, that Warcom are going to be doing, it's going to be every three months um, and using like their meta watch and all these tournaments that are happening across the world, they're going to use it to, to balance um, armies um, and they're doing this in various ways, so if we look at this one that was released this week They've looked at armies that are performing really well, like too well, looking at you, Adeptus Mechanicus and Drakari. Um, and then they've also looked at the armies that are doing not so well, such as my beloved Necrons uh, and also um, sort of the Imperial Guard. Uh, and they've done various things. So with the Admech and the Drakari, they have uh, had points hikes. So a lot of stuff has gone up. Um, so you're going to have a lot less in your army. Um, to try and kind of, you know, balance them. Um, whereas you've got stuff like the Necrons, what they've done for them is they've taken a lot of the um, Canoptech units and a lot of the Destroy units and give them the core keyword. Um, yeah. So suddenly that opens up like a plethora of like stratagems uh, and buffs that you'd be able to bestow on them. Like, for example, when we had our practice game, Jay, I nearly teleported using, yeah. the, using the Veil of Darkness from Scorpet Destroyers and then realised at the last minute, oh, actually, that then they haven't got the core keyword. Well, they have now, so I can. So that's an option now, yeah. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Um, giving free rerolls from um, the Silent King, um, putting Destroyers in uh, a Night Scythe, suddenly that's now a thing. 
Um, so yeah, it's it, you know lots of rerolls. It, that's really really cool. Um, the guard Lehman Russes have gone up to a two plus save. There's 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 there's, oh, wow. there's quite a few cool cool changes in here. Um, Interestingly enough, the uh, Bane blades don't have a two up save. No, they don't. <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, so I, th- I think this is really good. And, and what they've also done as well as a, a universal thing um, is you can now only have one aircraft model if you're playing a combat patrol or incursion sized game. Um, and then two aircraft models if you're playing the Strike Force or three if you're playing an onslaught sized game. I, I think you were talking about this before we started recording, Andy. Apparently in the tournament scene, we're seeing a lot of, in particular, admech flyers um going against how the game should be played really yeah they they were kind of being used because obviously you still can't walk through their base sort of thing they, they were kind of being used to sort of block off parts of the board and you know that sort of stuff and that's not mm. what you want aircraft to be doing that's kind of like a byproduct of the size the, of the base yeah just yeah just being on the table and obviously that was not what they intended which it, it it's good i mean Obviously, if you were that sort of player that took free flyers, you know, I don't think free flyers are like super over the top. Like, it's, depending on what they are, obviously, they're super good. But, um, I mean, the, the balance also brings in with orcs. Um, they can only take one unit of each of the um, boogies now, which, mm. I, I mean, we were chatting before the podcast and I was saying, Rather than it being one of each unit, it should just be a maximum of three of those models. So like a boom a snazwagon, you can only have three models, and that way you could take two units of one rather than a unit of two sort of thing. So I, but I, I get what they're saying because obviously like you played Mike at the um the mm. one AO and it was pretty much over t- turn one, wasn't it? So well, yeah, there's two there's two things that came up with Mike. It was a 1,250-point game. He had two flyers, and then he also had multiple. I think it was the um, the uh, the one that teleports, the little buggy that teleports. He had a couple oh, of those. Um, that's what I um, Yeah. Shot, so, shot, shot. Yeah, that's, that's it. it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and they're just very good. Just very, so so very the, good. these these balanced data slate things, then, they're coming out every quarter. Is that right? Yeah. Supposedly, yeah. Which right. so that's cool. So we we get we get a FAQ points revision every year, is it? And we get the chapter approved every year. Uh, yeah. Uh, so points typically change. Um, I think it's once every six months. So we usually, I think you're right. Uh, six months. Yeah. We usually do a Christmas update and an FAQ for it, and then we do the chapter approved in the summer sort of time. Um, so I I don't know if this is possibly too many updates for the game uh, but going into next year it's going to be interesting to see our thoughts on it now to how it's going to be in a year's time if they are doing updates every few months it's a tough one um because i i like i like the fact that there's so many updates because obviously codex is coming out thick and fast mm. um and you are starting to see certain armies like dominating the tournament scene i think having these updates is is really good and it keeps everything kind of like it suddenly changes how like i would build a necron army having all these core keyworded units you know i could do do some different things obviously the flip side to that is 
you know, it'd be nice to just have one book that you can open and confidently go, there there are its rules. Um, whereas obviously yeah. this, you know, am I going to be printing this page and slipping it into my codex? At least, at least, it, I mean, it's really high quality printouts. Like the, um, the they've taken time to um, to present it like really nicely. So I'd be able to print out that Adeptus Mechanicus points and slide that into my codex. But um, it kind of makes me feel like with the amount of updates that are coming, that perhaps instead of a hardback codex, maybe in the future we'll see something that we can more like a binder kind of style that we can update and take pages in and out of. Um, I don't know. That possibly just an idea. I I wonder whether they need to look at the way they're creating. Because I mean, generally they can fix these things with points. There's not many data sheets out there. I think that have got big problems. Um, you know, and they can fix it with with point changes. So I wonder, I mean, if you look at the kill rig, the kill rig is like very, very cheap compared to equivalent units in other army books. And even when you compare it to units in other army books that are like the same, so like a, a redemptive dreadnought costs, you know, with the same as a kill rig. But the, the kill rig has got one extra toughness. It's got two or three extra wounds. It's got the same arm save. It's got uh, a psychic and cast two psychic powers. You know, even 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 you know warlocks can only cast one psychic power. Um, it's got a really really cool weapons on it that you can auto hit with. It can transport. You can deep strike it. Um, and on top of that, when it gets into combat, it, it, it's really really strong in combat. And you think, how is that the same points as a dreadnought? Um, so it seems quite obvious to me that the, the the kill rig should be more points, and I expect it will go up in points in the next. So but how does that get out of the door from Games Workshop? Surely the rules writers and reviewers and design team must understand that that kill rig, for example, is too cheap out of the door. So they know in a few months time that they're going to have to adjust the points of the kill rig. And that has a knock on effect on other units in the York book as well because of the internal balance of a book. Uh, and then you end up with this situation now where they're releasing these three monthly data balance data sheets. And then that's, you know, then you're talking now, Dave, about, you know, having to keep track of all these different documents when you want to go to a game, it makes it a lot trickier for you. Whereas if they'd just got that kill rigs points right out the door, you wouldn't have that issue. And if they'd done that with the Dark Elder and the Admech and things, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't be having to make these balance sheets later on. So I don't know. I, I, I mean, the cynic in me says, you know, that they tend to do this, release units that are very strong, people buy them, and then they reduce. But I don't think it is that. I don't, if I should see that with every unit that comes out. And I think if you look at the Black Templars release, the sort Lord Brethren, really, really nice kit. But I think actually, on balance, the Blade Guard veterans are probably the stronger melee unit in the Black Templars book, and the Sword Brethren are just good. You know, they're just they're not they're not an over they're not an undercosted wars a data sheet or anything like that. So, the, so I don't think it is that. I think I think they can do it. I don't know if they've just made a mistake with some units or it's a genuine mistake and they're still learning. But you'd think Games Workshop have got the experience now, having been in the industry for thirty odd years to. So, yeah, so I don't know. I, I, it seems to me like they could have avoided this myself because I think there's some glaringly obvious errors with the way some units are costed as they come out. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely like a marketing aspect um, to releasing, obviously, models and stuff. Like You look at the kill rig and again, you know, the, the data slate is, you know, 10 out of 10, absolutely phenomenal. 
but the, the model was about 80 is it like 80 pounds something along those lines and if you made it uh, again this is the cynic in me if you made it pointed appropriately because i think it should probably be about 270 points 280 points yeah again yeah. i don't play a huge amount of 40k so i might be wildly off there but if you made that that amount of points would you sell as many you probably wouldn't but no you but, probably wouldn't sell as many there's a lot but you would there. still sell them yeah you, you you definitely still sell like that absolutely gorgeous model you know when, yeah. when i get around to to doing some beast snaggers for my orcs i'm definitely going to have at least one or two in my list but there's a lot less orc players out there than there are like space marine players so maybe they'll look at some of these kits and think okay it, it's pointed 250 points but let's put it at 200 and then you can fit two in your list so uh, like i i get it i mean they are a miniatures company at the end of the day their, their job is to sell these models to us but um i i do agree when you look at these sort of like balance updates and stuff it's great for the game like you, you can either approach issues in one of two ways you either do a rules change or you do a points change but sometimes that rules change will then need a points change as well. So yeah, I mean, it has a knock-on at, effect. Yeah, it has a knock-on effect. I mean, you find with um, Age of Sigmar, they typically just change the points on stuff rather than data slate, slates and stuff. Yeah, there's not like many that. times they've had to change a data sheet, have they? Yeah, I mean, I mean, with 40k, there's a lot more moving parts, so I kind of get it. And obviously, it's a different um, studio that work on the 40k stuff to the Age of Sigmar stuff. So, you know, and I mean, looking at the balance data slate, if they are doing this every three months, I'm happy with that. You know, if you're a Chaos Space Marine player, for example, all this update does is change effectively one sentence in your codex. So it's not like the end of the world sort of thing. And I, I think if they are doing this for the betterment of the game, which they, they definitely are, I mean, especially with Orcs, you know, how many orc players are going to be, you know, taking loads of buggies and just decimating some players turn one? Now you've got that balance and factor, so I think it it is better for the game. But again, it's getting to that stage where there's so much, it's very easy to miss something. Yeah, there's that many documents that you have to. So you've got the errors, you've got the FAQs, you've got chapter approved revisions, you now you've got the data slate revisions as well. It is good. You know, I'd rather have them than not have them, but then I'd rather not need them. <laughs> and then yeah. I've got a book that I pay 35 quid for, and it's going to last me the edition. I mean, because, I mean, you think how many books people are buying. People are buying yeah. codexes, they're buying Crusade content, you know, the campaigns, Octarius books. You know, you buy the Dark Eldar book, Drukari Codex, 30 quid or whatever it was. Then you buy that um, campaign booklet with the, uh, um, the, the, the extra Dark Eldar Cult of Strife rules in it. Uh, and then you know three or four or five months down the line all the points and things are changing in the book as well anyway so yeah hmm. I, I mean you look at like um all the extra but i know we've gone on a bit of tangent now but when you look at the um all the uh, campaign books and stuff like coming out you, dare i say it like for me personally as a casual 40k player with my grey knights for example i'm not going to buy a 35 pound book just because there's a couple of pages of grey knight stuff in there simply because of the fact that if I go to an event or whatever, I'm going to have to carry it around. But if they bring out like an FAQ like this, for example, you, you know, you, worst comes to worst, you just get it up on your phone and remind yourself before a game begins, you know. So I, my, my honest opinion is I think this is a good step. 
I'd like to see them do something like this for Age of Sigmar because there's certainly some issues in Age of Sigmar that I think need addressing. But it's definitely a step in the right direction. I guess as well now with all of the sort of app support that 40k has got and Age of Sigmar, so we've got the 40k app and you know you can add your codex code to that so you've almost got an electronic copy of your codex and that obviously gets updated with these changes um which is something new in ninth edition we didn't have that in previous editions of the game so i guess this sort of almost living rule book type um uh, sort of thing that they're doing now is is good you know and and we've got the technology and tools there now to sort of make the most of that sort of idea also it's worth noting as well uh, at least to from what i've seen to this point is when we have seen these um updates they've <coughs> reflected on the new age of sigma app and 40k app pretty quickly yeah uh, which is which is good i mean i actually preloaded my army list onto my tablet so that i could easily bring up my army and and, and data sheets i actually forgot to take my tablet out of my bag for the entire day and re- i think that's because we're just so used to the books aren't we you know yeah. there's if you're a generation now getting into Warhammer, you'll probably start with a tablet or a phone and barely look at your book. But I do but like I school. do like codexes. I, I do like owning the book. And I do like having the rules in the book. It's just a shame that almost out of date a few months after the books come out and you know yeah. the points values at the back is pointless because I almost wonder whether that the codexes themselves should be more just crusade-focused and law-focused with you know maybe the profiles for your units because they don't tend to change but then don't worry too much about putting the points in there because we know we're going to get the points in a different document and make that those points available globally or i don't know you know just just a different way of approaching the codex design perhaps well we used to do um digital codexes and stuff didn't they and i i always found that was easier for me um because again that gets around the whole issue of having to carry like five books to to go to a tournament or an event or whatever. And again, if they're digital, like I bought the um not the current one, but the previous Heden Knights of Slanesh Battle Tome um digitally, and they updated it with the FAQ and changed the locus ability. Um and they dis they did that on the digital version, which for me, I was just like for me, I don't understand why they're not doing this all the time because it just makes it so much easier because like you said you buy a codex and hardback and three months later there's an faq or rata or whatever that that invalidates your codex if you had a digital codex you could literally just update the codex yeah and and people people will still buy the codexes because they'd have crusade content in and and lore and background and stuff and nice pictures and things so it's still something i still think there's a place for codexes i just wonder whether the match play element of it is now better served in the app or in a different format which means that they can release these free month patches and people aren't having to lug around a load of stuff or sticky note stuff over the top of the codexes and things like that we'll have to see i mean it's still early days really for the 40k app and early days for the um uh for this kind of um approach to take into balance in ninth edition so we'll see we'll see we'll go maybe maybe this is just the beginning of something really really cool and it'll get perfected and then in 10th edition we get a really really cool format for the for rules and points and things but yeah i'm looking uh, it is cool and i guess as well dave like you say it's giving the necrons a new like breath of fresh air when you're playing them and constructing lists now with the different options whereas ordinarily you would be waiting for like say 10th edition or 40k before you get your next necron codex yeah yeah it'd be a long way off so um 
so yeah it's uh it's a cool thing uh, but you can check that out over on uh, on warcom and that's available to download now uh, and, and becomes active straight away and before we wrap up this week's news, actually, just while you guys were chatting, I was just having, having a quick peek to make sure I'd not missed anything. Uh, and there was actually something I missed. Um, so we've got a new White Dwarf, like the festive edition of White Dwarf on the way. Um, we don't normally talk massively about these on, on the podcast, but I thought I'd mention this one because it actually comes with um, an update for Cities of Sigmar for Warhammer Age of Sigmar. Um, so what you're going to be getting in this is mount traits for your griffins and your black dragons, uh, a couple of grand strategies, new battle tactics, plus a mini campaign. So if you um, if you if you play Cities of Sigma, then you're going to get a, a bit of an update in the next issue of White Dwarf, which I yeah. thought was quite cool. Yeah, they've done one for uh, Sons of Bearmat, Slaves to Darkness, and Seraphon. I think of the three they've done previously. Now, yeah, Cities of Sigma, which is great you know it, it, i mean I, i'm a white dwarf subscriber i love the white dwarfs so, but um this for me is like icing on the cake again it's like um when the sons of bear stuff came out in there it was a great way to to give them that little bit more without just releasing a brand new battle tome um, yeah. it, it does kind of make me wonder that these factions that are getting these updates are probably not getting the battle tome in the next year or so and this is why they're getting you know white dwarf updates and stuff but yeah everything that i've seen so far from what is in there it it brings the second edition battle tomes and just gives them a little bit of an edge bringing them into the new new edition because realistically all your army needs for a third edition is maybe some grand strategies um you know some path to glory stuff and really that's about it like there's there's not a huge amount more. Maybe again some more specific battalions tailored to your armies, but that's that's about it. And all that you can do in the White Dwarf quite nice and easily. So yeah, absolutely. Oh, um, but that there is one more bit of news which I knew uh, I'd forget something. I knew I'd forget something. <laughs> well, this one's kind of like um a, a little bit of sneak peek. Um, so. It's been um, a picture that's been circulating on um, Twitter today, and it's um, the new Maggot Kin, what what appears to be kind of like a start collecting box. Um, ah. So obviously with third edition, we had Stormcast and Warplans were the first two, but their start collecting boxes are almost like the Dominion box set in many ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with the Maggot Kin, there's been a picture circulating of a box with a spoilpox scrivener, ten plague bearers, five blight kings, and two puskor blight lords, which seem to come into sort of like one box, which works out at about a hundred quid's worth of models. Which, if it comes in one box, you're probably looking at about eighty quid, because that's how much the combat patrol boxes are for forty k, aren't they? They're about. They are. Yes. Yeah. Quid um and as a maggot kin player every single unit in that box you're gonna want i mean obviously mm. we we haven't got the, the battle tome um but i'm hoping that every unit in that in that box <laughs> is one that i want so yeah but uh, that's the only other news thing that i could tag on but again it's not really news news it's just been circulating around so 
No, no. I'll let you have that one, Andy. It was a, it was a good addition to the uh, to the news there to finish us off. Uh, that brings uh, our new segment to a close, and we've got a couple of segments yet to go, so we'll be right back. Thanks to Games Workshop, we do actually have a brand new book in our hands, which is up for pre-order right now for release on Saturday. That is Warzone Actarius Book 2, Critical Mass. So this is hot on the heels of Book 1, Rising Tide, which has introduced a load of new Tyranid rules, uh, rules for Cadians, uh, and so on, some new campaign stuff. Um, so this kind of, as Andy said at the top of the show, kind of dropped out of nowhere. We weren't expecting it. Um, it hadn't kind of been previewed or anything yet on Warcom. Um, it just suddenly kind of appeared. Now, we've done a full written review of this over on spruceandbruce.com. I'll pop the link in the podcast notes. Uh, I am aware of the, the runtime of this podcast so far. So what we're going to do is we're going to have um, a quick run through of this book. Um, obviously, I'll get some opinions from from Andy and Jay uh, on, on on their thoughts. Um, but yeah, do check out that review on the the website if you want a little bit more um, detail. Um, as per the previous Warzone books, this is really aimed for specific people. Um, if you collect um, the armies that are within it, um, so in this case. I would aim this really at orc players, in particular those that are fans of the Blood Axes or the the Speed Freaks, um, as well as anybody that's looking to add rogue traders to their um, games. That's an interesting choice, isn't it? Not Inquisitors, rogue traders. No, well, we had Inquisitors in the in the previous book, so we had um, ah, okay. basically it was the rewrite of the index, so there was no changes to the Inquisition. It was just the rules that were in uh, Psychic Awakening prior were put into yeah. the previous book but what the, what what's different about this one is is this is new content for the rogue traders um okay. so before we get to um to all the rules i will quickly just say that the the law in this book uh is probably even better than the law in the previous book it, it just keeps getting better like the more i read of these books now um, the more impressed I am, and I'm not I'm not going to give away any spoilers on this on this particular episode, but this book builds up to this massive battle at the end of the law between two hulking beasts, and there is like there's a clear winner, um the other one is not getting back up. There's no like running away injured or anything. One particular it's being like, dies. Like Ark on the black. When <laughs> firing kicks him off the uh, realm of life, uh, realm of light. It, yeah, it's absolutely not like that because that's so open to, to Ark, and, Ark and the Black coming back, which he it clearly dead. will. It, it says, it no. says he completely explodes. He's, no, he's not dead. He's not dead. He's my favourite deaf character. He's, he's not dead. He's yeah, he's coming definitely back. coming back. He's definitely coming back. He's I've got the model, back. so he's definitely coming back one way or another. Yeah, as, as um, legends. <laughs> <laughs> So, so yeah, the the lore in this book is great. Um, it does go into a few more campaign rules. Um, so obviously we saw this in um the previous book. What this does is it gives you more victor bonuses. So when you built your campaign, at the end of each mission, you can choose for the victor to have a a bonus, whether that be extra command uh, dice at the beginning of the next game or um. Uh, one-off abilities to bring down like your CP cost of stratagems and stuff and um, they're, they're pretty cool uh, it gives you some predetermined campaign trees to help you 
build your campaign. Um, but then what it also does is it introduces um, something new called critical missions. So what your campaign master can do, whoever's running the campaign, is they can at the beginning of one of the games go, right, this next game is going to be a critical mission. You've then got a table which you can either roll a d6 on or you can pick one that, you know, feels suitably narrative to the battle you're going to have. So say, for example, Jay, you roll um, a four on a D6's critical mission. That's safeguard. So say you're playing Andy. At the first, at the start of the first battle round, your opponent, so Andy, can select one character from your army. Your critical mission is successful if that unit is on the battlefield at the end of the battle. So what that will give you is it will give you some points towards your campaign. But more importantly, um, if it's a crusade battle, then that character would gain extra experience. Oh yeah. If it was a match play game, then you would gain an extra command um, point at the beginning of your next battle, um, which is pretty handy. See, it's things like that, things that link games together and give you give you something for doing it. Things like that, I absolutely love. They make it easy, don't they, to yeah. to, to get that sort of storytelling into your games, yeah. Yeah, so um, so I, I quite like that. Um, I thought that was really good. And something else which is um, much better than the previous book is this one actually has some new battle plans in it as well. So they're very much tied to the attacker and defender as, as in the lore of the books, but it, it gives you more um, mission objectives, more battle plans to play through um, and to add to your, to, to your campaigns. I know what I'm looking at is... Um, so I've made a few notes about a campaign I'd like to run for us for a crusade, but I'm kind of holding off revealing it to you guys until you've had your crusade weekend because I'm kind of interested to see how Games Workshop do it and maybe okay. borrow some of their ideas. But what I have started to sort of do is note down sort of battle plans across these various books that we're getting um, because, I, you know, all this material, you can sort of build your own campaign mm. um, without... You know, I don't. You know, without taking all the battle plans and running this campaign from this book, I can create my own and take battle plans from different areas and just tweak them slightly to fit the narrative. Yeah, I, um, I've done a similar sort of thing for Age of Sigmar with a using sort of like Path to Glory missions, mm. but obviously with, with Path to Glory, there's only six missions that you can really choose from. With forty mm. k, you know, we're we're talking hundreds of missions now if you buy all the Crusade books, aren't you? So yeah. Um, yeah and you know what actually i've got i've got the crusade review to finish we've got um containment the new crusade um book which features um i can't remember what they actually call it now but it's, it's basically triumph and treachery for 40k in oh, my only yeah it, it is exciting um it, it's not quite as triumph and treachery as uh, i hoped but i think it still could be quite fun and Hold off for the full review, Jay, and um, okay. you'll, you'll see. But what one thing I would say, and, and you're right, Andy, I, I do like the fact that they've got all this Crusade content, but I am a little bit worried about the how often they're coming out. <laughs> yeah. who has, who's got time to be running through these Crusades in, in the time that the books are coming out? Because um, we certainly haven't. Um, but anyway, at least, obviously, the content's there. So um, yeah, you I'm either right. use it or you don't. But yeah, the, the cool thing about these these books is obviously, like you said, not everyone's got time to play 200 games of 40k in a couple of months. You know, it, it 
it's just not going to happen. But if you keep these books for like the next two or three years, you know, Crusade clearly is something that Games Workshop want to invest in. They're going to support it. They're going to be, you know, really tapping into that narrative um, urge that a lot of players are, are obviously very happy it's, you know, around. Um, you know, you buy some of these Crusade books and you can be playing it in two years' time. And, uh, I mean, I've still got some of the Realmgate War books for Age of Sigmar, which now are all appearing on um, Warhammer Vault and stuff. But some of the scenarios in there, while they might not, you know, necessarily work as well now as when they did when they came out, gives you a lot of inspiration for how you can actually sort of plan a narrative campaign or Mm. plan, you know, a series of linked games and stuff. And the same thing with these Crusade books, you know, if you really wanted to um, do a, a campaign where, you know, one of you is a Tyranid player, one of you is an Orc player, and then one of you, you know, picks Black Templars or, you know, whatever, and you, you guys want to plan out the Octarius book, then you can, you know, go through the lore of the Octarius book and then pick some Crusade missions, maybe from like two or three different books that, that fit those, you know, yeah. fit those missions. So Absolutely. Um, so yeah, it, it's cool they're in here. I think it gives more value to the book when you've got battle plans in here um, compared to when you don't. Um, we then come into sort of the, 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 the you know the, the meat of the book, and that's and that's rules. And it does kick start with the rogue traders or the Asta, the Astra uh, Cartographica. Uh, I'm rubbish at pronouncing Warhammer words. Cartographers. Yeah. So um, this is um, so these are new rules for rogue traders. Um, you can either build a detachment of them or, uh, in what I think we'll see more of, is you can include them in any Imperium army without breaking any detachment rules you've got. So, for example, with my Deathwatch army, I could quite happily take a rogue trader with them without losing all my special Deathwatch detachment abilities, such as choosing when I um, go into the tactical doctrines and just um, devastate doctrines and stuff. Um, so all the rules in here... Um, go you know replace any rogue trader rules that have previously been published the two key abilities that go across this um these models are warranted the trade so they can embark on any imperium transport and they're agents of the imperium so as i just said they can be added to any imperium army without breaking any detachment rules now at the moment i think we've got three different rogue trader models i think most of them are out of production now um that are all named characters what they've decided to do is they, they no longer those named characters no longer have data sheets they've been replaced with just one rogue trader data sheet and how it reads at the beginning is uh, a rogue trader is equipped in one of the three different ways and then it goes and describes basically those three character models and what they're armed with right, um yep. so instead of building your own it's kind of saying right okay these are three different rogue traders what it does mean is if you don't own any of those three models and you wanted to convert one, then you would pick one of these three kind of loadouts and build it. Yeah, and, and build that as a base, yeah. Um, so you, you've just got the one data sheet for them now. Um, you then also have a data sheet for the Voidsman Arms, which came in the Rogue Trader box. These are the really cool, like, almost retro-armoured Astra Militarum. They're, they're really cool models. I wish I picked these up myself. Um and that's it. That they they're your two data sheets because I think that's all that's available for the the rogue traders at the moment. So no data sheets are all like the characters that you had in Rogue Trader, like the funky Admet guy and um, 
uh, all those characters. They're, they're not in here. Um, you do have a choice of free warlord traits. So quite a popular one, I think, will be the Master of High Society. Um, whilst you rogue traders on the battlefield, each time you spend a command point um, on a core stratagem or one of the rogue trader stratagems on a D6, you gain that CP back. Um, you've got your own list of stratagems, um, which are quite cool. Um, you've got six of these, mainly around um, sort of different grenades, which affects like your enemy's movement um, and uh, dealing mortal wounds. Um, nothing kind of groundbreaking in here. Um, they're quite good at. There's one for one CP violent acquisition. Use the strategy when you're shooting phase when a uh, a rogue trader unit from your army selected to shoot or in the fight phase. Uh, until the end of the phase, each time a model in that unit makes an attack that targets a unit within range of an objective marker, an unmodified hit roll of a six causes one additional hit. I think really, if you're taking a rogue trader, it's more for like I don't know for for a narrative point of view maybe maybe yeah. for the CP regen. Um, they're not terrible in combat actually they only get free attacks do they yeah, have okay, psychic powers they don't have psychic powers no no so no. I, I guess they would slot into an army like a inquisitor does although inquisitors are a bit more flexible in how you can add them to armies aren't they yeah and they're also a lot more flexible in the loadouts so you yeah. can you can build your own well in fact they're very because you, you first of all you get to pick your your auto and then you get to yeah go to town on what what they're gonna have the some of them, like the Order Xenos, you know, you can't give them Terminator armor, but you can pretty much give them any close combat attack weapon or a plasma pistol or whatever ranged gun you want to give them. So, yeah, um, yeah they're a lot more flexible. Uh, flexible. I think, obviously, this just gives um, those people that have picked up those Rogue Trader models a chance to use them uh, in 9th edition with some updated rules that, like I say, aren't groundbreaking, but, you know, they're here. Uh, what I will get to towards the end of the book is they do come with some, cru- some crusade content. Um, so obviously, like I say, for narrative, they could be quite fun to tag along. We've got one codex supplement in here. It's the Blood Axes. So these are your commando heavy guys. These are your sneaky orcs. Um, you've got three unique warlord traits specifically for the Blood Axes in here. Um, you've got three relics, uh, including the Fight Detector. Uh, which is basically an all-spec scan from Space Marines, but Orcs. Um, so if, um, you know, Andy, you bring in a unit within 12 inches of my Relic Bearer uh, Orc that's got this fight detector, if you deep strike within 12 inches of him, I get to then declare a charge with an, uh, one of my units that's within 6 inches of the Bearer of the Relic. So it's like you're not shooting at the reinforced unit, you're going to charge them. <laughs> which yeah. um, is really cool. And you get <laughs> you get plus two to that charge as well, which is even better. Oh, wow. So, that's that's really good. Good. You're an orc. Yeah, that's yeah. really good. I like that. Yeah. 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 I mean, you just wouldn't, you wouldn't deep strike anything within 12 inches of that bearer, would you? Because no. that's just silly. Um, unless, more unless, of a unless you wanted to get into a fight, unless you were deep striking a kill rig with a bunch of orcs inside. Well, yeah. yeah maybe. <laughs> I was listening uh, to... Um, forge the narrative podcast today and they were talking about a relic for one of your orcs which is like a shooter like a custom shooter that's like heavy 14 or something or daca 14 yeah so you got the straight shooter which uh, replaces a custom shooter um it's a daca 14 slash 10 <laughs> it's strength five it's ap minus one and damage one 
But what's even better is its abilities. Each time you select a target for this weapon, you can ignore the lookout sir rule. And each time an attack is made with that weapon, an unmodified wound roll of a six inflicts one mortal wound on the target in addition to any normal damage. So it's like a sniper. It's a it's a it's a fourteen shot sniper. Yeah. Excellent. I mean you're gonna be hitting on fives, aren't you, with an orc, but Well if you um, put it on um uh, I think a regular Big Mech can have like a custom shooter. I think they're mm. PS4. So okay. Give it to a grot. Give it to a grot. <laughs> yeah, I'll give it to I don't a grot. Th- yeah. I don't think there's any grots that can take custom shooters, sadly, but um I think you're right, um and you could give it to a big mech and maybe get to a, a BS4 and then yeah, you it's a crazy amount of shots. Uh, ignoring the so, so a twenty four inch range. So to get to those fourteen shots, I think you have to move in half range. Is that DACA range? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean the um uh war boss in Mega Armor, the one that comes in the combat patrol box, he comes with a um a custom shooter with a Grok gunner. So he's actually mm. PS um four plus as well. So you could put it on the um on the Mega Boss who's obviously gonna be you know, trying to run closer to the enemy anyway. So again, yeah. I don't think he has a custom shooter, so I don't think you can. Um, I like how they describe the weapon. This this is like a converter's dream. So it says the straight shooter is a one of a kind weapon. It is fitted with an optical scope made using components stolen from a number of different weapons, including Imperial Tau and even Eldari. All right, nice. So that's that's really cool. Um, you've got uh, two, four, six. You've got eight stratagems here. You've got a couple that upgrade your units. For example, Youngbloods upgrades a Stormboy's unit to give them an extra one to their strength. Um, and you've got another Stormboy's one here, Glory Boys, for one CP. You can add two to their charge rolls um, when you use that in the charge phase. So um, I quite like these because I quite like they're quite Stormboy's heavy. They're quite Commando's heavy. Um I think they're quite a fun little supplement, actually, and I'd be tempted if I ever went orcs to maybe use these guys. Um, yeah, I definitely think they're, they're they're quite a fun a fun option uh, and something quite different. Yeah, but the rules they've been given for orcs this edition have just been yeah so good. <laughs> yeah, properly thematic and interesting and fun, which is exactly what you want for for orcs. I remember um, Eldar a long time ago getting rules for their aspect warriors and i remember thinking the same thing this is exactly how aspect warriors are sort of i think it's when their exarch started getting extra wounds and things and they got all the cool exarch powers and that uh, and i think when they when they get that right where the army plays like it it's supposed to it, it feels in the background and the law it, it's just win-win isn't it mm, absolutely even if, if they do pref- destroy the ultramarines in a turn and <laughs> <laughs> um, if you prefer your orcs faster and uh, then we do have an army, army of renown in here for the speed freaks um so as you as with all army renowns you have restrictions but with those restrictions you get lots of benefits and new abilities um the speed freaks one you'll be unsurprised to hear its major restriction is you can only include speed freaks wagon and aircraft units so absolutely nothing on foot um i know mike who i played against at the tournament wants to run this but it will mean he'll have to drop his kill rig um, because that that doesn't fit any of those keywords um you get a ton of benefits though um for example you get the adrenaline junkies ability which is actually four abilities in one so um you gain an extra attack if you charge or heroically intervene you get to if you advance um until the end of your shooting phase it counts as have, having made a normal move instead 
so even quicker than you already are um, and you also get a six plus invulnerable save across all your units in the speed freaks army um, which is crazy um, another benefit is that all your models in that oh no sorry it's only the bikey units within that speed mob gain the objective secured um, ability as well because obviously you would normally rely on your orcs for that and you can't take those so yeah um, you've got your own warlord trait in here you've got a couple of vehicle custom jobs and you also have six um, stratagems specifically for this army renown it's quite fun I could definitely see Matt running this um, yeah. to see how, how he get on with it um, the only downside is you can't take your clan culture um, so you wouldn't be able to is it the what's what's the name of the speed freaks um clan um, uh, evil sons evil sons so you wouldn't get the evil sons special rules but you do get all the rules that are in here so that more than makes up for it really uh, coming towards the end of the book uh, it finishes off with some crusade content um so what is cool is there is actually uh, a couple of pages of crusade relics um for this particular octarius campaign bearing in mind but there's one for, I think, every army is in here. Um, so you've even got one for the Tau J. Um, it's a Tau battle suit model only. Each time the bearer makes a range attack that targets an enemy unit with a starting strength of 11 or more, you can re-roll that attack's wound roll. Um, it's called the multi-tracking, uh, multi-target tracking node. Um, you've got a Mask of Morai Heg, which is an Eldari model only one. Uh, each time the bearer would lose a wound, roll a d6 on a 5 plus, that wound is not lost. And each time an out-of-action test is failed for the bearer, you can re-roll that test. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, you've got some Rogue Trader-specific uh, agendas to fit the, the narrative of those guys. And you've also got your own Crusade mechanic as well, which is very similar to the Adeptus Mechanicus in that you can build weapon augmentations um, or physical augmentations. It's funny that, you know, these have got Crusade content, which is arguably better than some of the books that are already available for full armies. <laughs> I don't um, mind that. I don't mind that because they could, you know, they could just as easily go back and add more Black Templars Crusade content or Sisters of Battle Crusade content. You know, it won't, it's not a problem, is it? So, and yeah. I look at like the Space Marine Codex. The Space Marine Codex really doesn't have a crusade mechanic like the other books does uh, do. Mm. So like you know, Blood Angels have all of that Death Company and earning the um, the Black Rage points. Uh, the Sisters of Battle, you go on a, 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 a almost like a, a path to sainthood, and there's different. Mm. The Black Templar one is amazing. Whereas the, the Space Marines have got nothing. You just get experience, you, you level up your characters, and you instead of a battle trait, you can give them, uh, well, you can give your captain once a battle honor, and that's it. There's, there's not really anything else in there. Um, but they could just, you know, in a in a in a, sp- in a Space Marine focused um, supplement like this, they could add a bunch of new Crusade rules for them. Yeah, it's the same with my Death Watch. Like, I can basically upgrade a, a character to have a a specialism kind of like baked in but that's really it there's no like special yeah. um mechanic for hunting xenos or anything there's an agenda which i can find xenotech but it's not really anything tied into the narrative of the but then like you look at the dark angels where you and andy yours with the, is very similar with the demon i would love to collect an army where i get to paint like a a cipher for the chaos and let my opponent use them in have a narrative towards trying to capture them and stuff. It almost almost makes me want to build 
like a Grey Knight army or a Dark Angels army just so that I can access that Crusade content. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I yeah, like the thing with Crusade is we could just use our imagination, you know? Yeah. There's nothing yeah. game breaking in it. You can create a little system that that you know base it on the dark angels one or the gray knights one you know you're hunting a, a xenos adversary and rather than collecting true name points you're collecting um i don't know inquisition data slates or something and and, and then you know you have to reach a certain amount and then you can try and infiltrate the xenos's home base and you can run a special yeah. mission so you know with a bit of imagination you can sort of create any kind of crusade system you want uh, it would be nice That's to get them in the books and maybe see them in the future but yeah, you know, I, I think you could. Uh, you, I mean, the Black Templar one is all right. It's very focused around the different crusades. But I mean, a lot of Space Marine chapters are crusading chapters. A lot of them have those purity seals and mm. swear oaths to the Emperor. So you could easily use some of those rules with with a, mm. a generic Space Marine army, I think. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, to finish off this book, and this is quite a big um, fun component of this book. Uh, it's again for orcs and it's looted vehicles. So the last we saw of these was in one of the chapter approved where they were basically like an open war. You could, you know, they had rules you could make, but nobody really did it, I don't think. Whereas I can see people absolutely getting on board with this. So this is, again, purely for Crusade. Um, You can use your scrap points that you would um, gain with using the Orc mechanic for Crusade to instead loot a vehicle. Um, So this costs at minimum um, if you're just getting a loot. Sorry, I'll, I'll go back a step. You've got three different data sheets in here. You've got a looted wagon, you've got a looted heavy wagon, and a looted battle fortress. So they each have starting scrap point costs, um, but then you can also pay for upgrades. So let's take, for example, a, a basic looted wagon would cost you six scrap points. If you wanted to add up to six shooters onto it, you would have to, it would cost you another scrap point. Um, oh, wow. Same with the other two. You've you've got like different options that you can pay for uh, with different bits of scrap. Um, so they're really cool, and it's it's obviously a converter's absolute dream. Um, they all have um, really cool data sheets, and each of these data sheets also have their own custom red button. <laughs> so <laughs> once per battle, at the start of your command phase, you can push your red button. <laughs> so on a looted wagon, for example, you roll a d6 on a one snack dispenser a hidden component delivers a delivered tasty grilled squig no effect so it, it's done nothing but you've got a tasty squig out of it but then so two good. to six you've got benefit so two to three until your next command phase you add four inches to the model's movement four to five more dacket until your next command phase each time this model makes a range attack an unmodified hit roll of a six cause one additional hit or on a six you've got a hidden rocket until your next command phase, this model is equipped with one rocket launcher. And you've got a different custom red button across the three different data sheets. So if we, I think the number one is the funniest. So on a looted heavy wagon, um, if you roll a one, if you're lucky enough to roll a one, shouty speakers, a hidden sound system starts blaring discordant music for the crew, <laughs> no effect. Uh, and for the battle fortress, screen wipers, Flexible scrapers deployed to clean the accumulated dirt and gore from the vision ports. No effect. Um, <laughs> this, this is so orky. Um, but yeah, it, it sounds so, so fun. That does um, sound very, um, it sounds very, almost like a funny version of Mad Max, doesn't it? <laughs> absolutely, yeah. I mean, a battle fortress, I think, is basically a, um, a, a like a Bane blade. 
You can give it a zap gun. Yeah. Um, rocket launchers and all sorts. Kill cannons. Oh, that sounds so cool. Um, you'd be buying. Lehman Russell would be selling out to to loot them for orcs. Um, and that brings us to the end of the, the the book, really. So, unlike the other war zones that we've had, if you've got an interest in the armies that are featured, which you know this is primarily orcs in this one, then absolutely, I think it's it's one that you've got to pick up. In particular, if you want Crusade, I think those, those looted wagons um, are one of the funnest parts of this book. But yeah, if, if you don't collect orcs and you're not interested in adding a rogue trader to your army, then it's really limited on content on you know if it's going to be worth you i think it's like 25 pounds is it these books um to buy so you like do jay i i can't see a reason for you to buy this book really um no but they do release a lot of them and they come out quite quickly so you know i'm sure there'll be a book out there that i will want to pick up like i i mean i don't we don't know but it looks like the the focus of the next part of Night Petition is going to be on Terra with the Gene Steel Cults uprising. I'm hoping mm. we're going to see some Adeptus Custodes sort of supplementary type things like this. Um, maybe I know I know there is a um, there is a custodian um, not called Brotherhoods. I can't remember what they're called now. I'm not chapters, um, but like a, almost like an equivalent of a chapter or a company of um, Adeptus Custodes, the Solar Watch, which obviously are just mm. concentrating on the defense of Terra. And you wonder whether they'll get like the cult of strife treatment. So we'll get we'll get Solar Watch rules in the Adeptus Custodes Codex because they did say there are going to be more focus on those. So they did it in Psychic Awakening where you got a warlord trait and a relic, I believe. But I think they're going to add almost like Brotherhood rules for those those different um, like the Solar Watch and the Shadow Keepers and things. Um, and then you'll get additional rules like cult of strife did in the in the supplement, which I know is a bit of a double-edged sword isn't it because on the one hand that's the second book you've got to buy but on the other hand there is a load of new rules and stuff for your game so uh be interesting to see to see what happens mm. absolutely um so yeah that, that brings us um to, to the end of the book and um, make sure you do check out that written review over on spreesandbrews.com the link will be in the podcast notes um so you can read that because I, I am aware that i went through that quite quickly um so you can obviously browse the review at your leisure and that book is up for pre-order now it's out um for release this saturday um uh, you know across all your various warhammer um retailers and our thanks again to games workshop for sending us a copy to review uh, we still have one major segment of this podcast left so we're going to take yet another pause and we'll be right back As we're coming towards the end of this week's podcast, it is time for this week's top three. Um, and for this week's top three, we're going to be looking at our favourite classic rare limited edition models. Um, so we're going to go through um, team member by team member to see what our top threes are. And then what we'll do in the final segment of this week's podcast is we'll read out some of the community choices. So, Andy, do you want to start us off this week with your uh, your third choice? Yeah, so my third choice, I'm going to butcher these names, is <laughs> Dar- Darakar, the Guardian of Souls. So this model came out quite a few years ago now, and it's um, a Nighthorn um, Guardian of Souls alternative sculpt. So he's got um, a little axe and an hourglass, and the hourglass used to be able to um, rewind time. Um yeah. 
I can't remember the rules it had in game, but all I remember is all of the competitive players that played Nighthorn at the time were running out to get this model. And mm-hmm. I um I was quite fortunate. Like one of my friends who was sort of like popping in to the games workshop saw it and asked me if I wanted it, whatever, and I was like, Yeah, sure, no problem. Of course it's been three years and it's still sat under the box unpainted. <laughs> but um yeah, it, it's one of those models that I always look at and it I mean, it's, I suppose it's one of the reasons why I like Ringwraith so much in, in Middle Earth as well, is you've got that supernatural, spectral, ghost sort of look to it. But at the same time, it's definitely someone you wouldn't want to mess with on a Friday night. No. So, um, yeah, I, I really like um, that model. Um, my second choice was Garcor. The Blade Geist Revenant, which is another Night Haunt model as well, you know. Sense of the theme. Yeah, but there's definitely a theme, especially when you get to the top choice. Um, so this is an alternative uh, sculpt for Blade Geist Revenant. You know, it's it's very dynamic. Um, one of the great things about the Blade Geist Revenant for Night Haunt is they're all very dynamically posed and stuff like that. But this model had um a helmet that definitely made it stand out to other blade guys revenants you know it's almost like it's um a, a, a character model for the blade guys and for me the blade guys when i when i played nighthorn they were my favorite unit they were the ones that were just mowing stuff down they would just chew through infantry like nobody's business and when this limited edition model came out i was like well that, that's great because now i have almost like a mini character to leave these blade guys and of course because it's a limited edition model and you can't buy it anymore and i'm waiting until i redo my night horn it's sat in a box and it's unpainted but <laughs> at some point hopefully next year i might bring it out i think for games of like war cry and stuff like that having these limited edition models they definitely stand out now yeah. my top choice is a very recent model and <laughs> I, I added two of them to car so i've got two of these models which i'm really happy with because there's an alternative sort of build to it which i'm i'm really happy because i want to build both of them and that is anastra malkorian the vampire lord oh yeah yeah the new yeah. one yeah yeah so yeah. vampire lords are obviously like you know, a big thing, especially in Soulbite Gravelords, especially in Death Faction for Age Sigma. And I kind of feel like this would be a good way for them to go down and just release a bunch of alternative Vampire Lord sculpts. Because this model, like, don't get me wrong, I love the Vampire Lord in the Soulbite Gravelord range, you know, with all the armor, with the mace, with the shield. This Vampire Lord to me looks a bit more looks a bit more like an intellectual vampire someone who yeah. you know playing the core you know teasing the prey you know this sort of stuff and you know you, you can build it with sort of like a a little dragon or you know a saber in one hand and again both versions look really cool and it's only missing like a small head swap and all of a sudden you could put it into tons of different model ranges you know you could rogue trader yeah you could have it as a rogue trader you could have it as a necromancer you know it wouldn't take much to make it like um a slaughter queen for you know daughters of Cain or something on those lines 
and like I said, I was I was fortunate enough to get my hands from two of these. And yeah, I think going into the into next year, one of my projects for Age Sigma is gonna be Soul Bite Grave Lords. So naturally, of course, this model for me is gonna be at the forefront of it. And hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, I might actually be using it in a in a narrative campaign that I'm writing. So yeah, uh, this for me sort of jumped out as uh, as being my number one choice. I I was very tempted by this uh, vampire lord. I don't have a soul white army, but quite a tempting um, faction. Um, I, I I did I did hold off, but um, yeah, kind of kind of wish I had picked uh, picked uh, her up. A uh, very very nice model. Uh, Jay, how about yourself? What what's your top three? Um, yeah, so my number three choice is um, uh, it's a it was a limited edition model for a unit that I don't actually think this unit is a valid unit anymore. It used to be in a Space Marine Codex that had some really really cool background, the Legion of the Damned. Um, so these were a special unit of Space Marines that you could take as an elite choice, I think, in a Space Marine Codex a long time ago. I think prior yeah. to that they were just like a special unit that just existed in the law. Um, and after reading some Horus Heresy books and things, you get some sort of feelings about who they may be and what they may represent. Um, and there's a really cool story of them showing up. I think it's that some Crimson Fists are sort of pinned down, uh, about to die, and these these Legion of Damned show up and save the day. But there was a particular, they weren't limited edition models, you used to be able to buy the metal kits with um, the Legion of Damned with all the flame motifs and skull motifs on them. Um, but there was one sergeant who was a limited edition model, um, Sergeant um, Centaurus, um, veteran Sergeant Centaurus. And he had like a, I mean, it's a proper old school model, um, and he, he's like holding a skull in the air. Um, but it's just a really, really funny, cool, iconic sort of classic <laughs> Space Marine Gothic weird model. Um, I'm not <laughs> sure how old he is or where you can get him. For some reason, I could be wrong. Maybe someone on the Twitter will correct us, but I seem to recall he got a refresh when the new Legion of the Damned model sculpts came out. Um, but I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not too sure. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I just remember, remember the old one. Yeah. yeah. Um, so here's my number three choice. Anyway, I'd be ace if they got rules again you could use. Maybe, maybe cross the Rubicon and get primary, so I'm not sure how that would work for spirits made of fire, but I don't know. <laughs> um, the, the second model was an elf model, um, and I believe this guy was a limited edition model that came out in the 90s uh, for more time, and he was like a mercenary elf, Aenor, Sword of the Twilight. You must remember this model, Dave. Oh, it was probably yes. came out before Andy was born. <laughs> <laughs> he's like... Um, he's, <laughs> he's like, uh, if you think Shadow Warrior, Elf Shadow Warrior, so High Elf or, or you know, uh, what are the what are the elves called now? Now with the old High Elves, what they have? They're just elves, are they? Sigma Elves, can't remember. But think think old Shadow Elves, um, and he's he's got like a cloak. He's like holding it across his sort of body and face, a bit like a pantomime mm. villain uh, with a big mm. blade. And he was I know Sword of the Twilight, and I had that model. It must be in a box somewhere upstairs. Um, but such a really really cool sort of sculpt really really uh, I, I was getting confused when you mentioned that elf then I was thinking of um the one Fario. that came out the same no the one that came out the same time as the um the Think Inquisitor King. oh the Inquisitor oh the an Inquisitor came out of 40k and at the same weekend he did an elf with a sword and a shield um, I, I, I can remember the elf with the sword and shield and you're right he was like a limited 
position thing. He came out, I think, alongside a Skaven special sculpt. Um, I don't recall the Inquisitor though. The, there was the an Inquisitor with like a plasma pistol and, a, and a, like a cowboy hat, witch hunter's hat. I'm. Um... I won't say any more because he may or may not be appearing in my uh, top three. Um, but but yeah, the, 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 uh, an elf did come out at the same time as this particular Inquisitor. Um, but I can't remember what the name of the um, high elf hero is. I've actually just found it on um, on the Tinterwebs, but it doesn't have a name. It just says high elf hero. I, I, I do remember who he was because he's a bit bit bulkier than a regular elf but yeah he, he's he's quite similar although i know sword of the twilight he, he, he's wearing his cloak across his army he's, he's a bit of a smaller sculpt yeah yeah i really like that health model i did have it but i have no idea where it is now um but yeah very nice model um and my number one choice oh wow what a cool sculpt this guy is it's the Craftworld eldar bone singer and I've got ah. two of these. Um, and I've not built them. I should do, really. When Craftworld Eldon 9th Edition comes out, I'll, I'll build these guys. I actually think they're a Legends choice now in the book. They're sort of like Eldar Tech Marines. So Eldar, they use a material called the Wraith Bone, or at least the Craftworld Eldar do. They sort of sing it into existence and sing it in, like, psychically sculpt it with the, the with a voice. Um and, and 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 the bone singers are like like I say the tech marines they 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 build and repair all of the um, Eldar vehicles and constructs and like buildings and things like this wraith bone and the Eldar bone singer it's a bit like a um, a farseer um, mm. in like he's got the robes and he's got a really cool he's like standing on like a a trunk of wraith bone and he's sort of like his arms outstretched and he's sort of like summoning it into existence. Um, but it's his helm. It's like very, very unique sort of um, mm. Eldar helm with all of these like, like um, I don't know, like extensions and like almost like the Wraith sort of um, backbone spine type things, but coming out the side of his helmet. A bit yeah. like the, um, I think, I think, I think he was in one of the Dawn of War games. Maybe I'm not sure. Uh, it looks very similar to the Farseer in the Dawn of War games, if not. Um, so yeah, so it's the Eldar Bone Singer. Um, I really need to put some paint on that guy and uh, get him into a craft world list. But like I said, I think he's a legend now. I don't think he actually has a date. Um, you just but... made me... So I've got the craft world codex uh, just to hand. So Because my memory obviously has failed me, but when this book came out for 8th edition, I thought they bought it back as a made-to-order. Uh, and they I did. could have sworn the data sheet was in the codex, but it, I've just been yeah, through I... it and it isn't, it isn't yeah. in here. Maybe it was 7th edition, Dave. You're right. They did release it as a made-to-order because that's where I, I picked them up because I missed them the first time around. So I got two when they did the made-to-order and it came as metal as well. So cool. Um, and it used to be an elite choice and it does it does like a tech marine where like a tech marine heals your vehicles and dreadnoughts. The bone singer could heal your vehicles and wraith lords. Um, mm. But but he was also a psyker, but I think you had to forfeit your psychic attempt to, to, to heal, a, heal a wraith lord by D3 wounds or something, which you like, you think, well, a tech marine could just do that as well as fire his bolter. So why is an elder after? But you know, that's just that's they're the rules. Um, so yes, that's my number one choice, Dave. So what have you got? Your three choices then? So my three choices, um, I've tried to go for a bit of a mix. My um, my third choice is uh, probably the most recent of what well, is the most recent of all these, 
it's this, we've had quite a few Primaris characters, but my favourite, and I think this guy's going to lead my my Death Watch when we we start going on Crusades. He's a Primaris Space Marine captain with plasma pistol and power fist. Um, so yeah, he he he's a really nice model. I really like his pose. Um, I think he's the only Primaris model currently available that has um, a power fist. Um, yeah, incorrect. Oh, am I wrong? <laughs> the the uh, the Dark Eld, um, Dark Angels one, if you remember, it came with. Oh, it was the first yes. of the Primaris captains where you could build it in multiple ways, and one of them had a power fist. I remember. But but oh. I, I guess I guess you could say this guy that you're talking about, Dave, is the first loyalist. <laughs> I was just about to make that joke. You beat me by a second. <laughs> just oh, mute dear. me. You've got the controls. Just mute me. Deary, me. So yeah, he's my. Um, I know this doesn't make a very good podcast chat, but I've just sent a picture of him over our uh, our uh, private yeah. group. But um, but yeah, he's my um, he's my favorite favorite Primaris uh, captain. He, um, he reminds me a bit of um, remember the Crimson Fist Cotiers model. Yes, he, he, he obviously. He's a lot bigger and beefier than Cotier's was, but he's got that sort of same pose, hasn't he? You mean mm. Pedro Cantor? Not Pedro Cantor, no. There was Cotier's. He was a Crimson Fist sergeant. Um, try and find, carry on, Dave. I'll find a picture. I think what really drew is I really like the idea because obviously the Death Watch have like a silver arm, and their um, that, that that particular arm is always silver. So I like the idea of a big silver fist. Um, I thought that was really really cool. So, uh, so he's my third choice. My second choice um, is is kind of been mentioned already in this top three, and that's Inquisitor Gideon Law. Um, so he came out. Um, I'll try and find out which year it is now, but it was sometime in the in the nineties. And he is an Inquisitor that is armed with a plasma pistol, um, and has a very cool hat, which is very important. You've got to have a very cool hat if you're a, an Inquisitor. Um, Are you even an Inquisitor if you don't have? A- 2004 he was um so a little bit later but it's like 15 years ago (laughs) yeah i only actually (laughs) painted mine i think it was during one of the lockdowns it might have even been the first lockdown when i was kind of um i didn't i didn't get online quick enough and i think a lot of like my current projects had all sold out so it's like i got through quite a few random models and he was one of them like i just I, i need to paint this guy but i was really nervous about doing it um, but I, yeah, I finally went in and painted him, and I'm, I'll probably use him because um, you very kindly did me an Eisenhorn, um, Jay, which I'll use in like match play games. But I'm thinking for the, like our crusade, I'll take an unnamed Inquisitor and build a bit of a yeah. story behind him, and I'll probably use that model for that purpose. Um, I think. So yeah, looking forward to using him for the first time. So he was my um, he was my second choice, and to finish off. This model was absolutely stunning. And it was released as part of the 30th um, White Dwarf kind of anniversary. It's the White Dwarf standing upon a shield held aloft by Gotrek <laughs> and Bugman. Um, yep. I have got this model still unbuilt in metal in a drawer. Um, what I really would like to do to this guy is maybe give him to like UJ um, and just let you go to town on him when you've got time and do like a really amazing paint job on him because he, he obviously deserves it. He'll never be played in a game because obviously the rules don't exist for him anymore. Um, but the model is absolutely fantastic. Three absolutely iconic dwarfs. Um, I think they gave him some joke rules actually in Warhammer Fantasy. I think <laughs> they were like a thousand points or something and they were just 
unbelievably good. I think Bugman could like hand out his ales and give them buffs and stuff. Um, so yeah, absolutely incredible model. Yeah. Did either of you two pick that up? Good choice. No, no, I, I don't have that one. Yeah, I, I I have a massive love for fantasy dwarfs, but unfortunately, I never never picked that up. I did pick up a white dwarf model they did around Christmas time, and it um he had like a, a helmet on one side. It was almost like he was putting a helmet on with his axe slung across his back. I used him as a, a dwarf lord for a good few years. That was that was a good model. Mm, that was that was a really good model. A, a bit of an honourable mention as well. Talking about Bugman is um, Jacob Bugmanson, which was the limited edition model from last Christmas, which was like a a, a beard sort of um, carriage and overlord uh, Bugman holding uh, an yeah. ale. Um, I, I really want to get him painted and, and use him as an ether chemist in my carriage army. <laughs> so instead of you know a bit of a buffer unit, um, but I've not I built him, but I've not had a chance to paint him yet. So I really need to 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 get him painted and maybe use him in a game. So um, so I yeah, that that was. Remember that one? Yeah, I've got I've got one of those painted because um, I yeah. you know I I thought I might use him as a a tech priest in a a friendly game he's uh he's very cool they are our top three choices and um, we did have some community entries and we're going to read those out next in our final segment on this week's podcast it is time for our community top three choices and we've had quite a few in this week so we're going to we can't, unfortunately, we don't have time to read all of them out, but we're going to read as many as we can because um, there are some fantastic choices in here. Um, over on Twitter, Six Imperial Pilots. Um, his third choice is the Storm of Chaos Battle Standard Bearer. Cordell Shorgar made me want to join Archeon. Very cool. Chaos Warrior with a massive banner. Um, his second choice, Keeping It Chaos, Harry the Hammer, 25th anniversary model. Oh, yeah. With that great <laughs> White Dwarf Heavy Metal Painting Competition article. Um, yeah, he's a, a absolutely classic model, and he's actually gone for his top choice, the Primaris Captain with Power Fist, contemporary rendition of those classics. Jim Duduku, he's gone for his third choice, the Imperial Guard Sergeant, who might be a fan of Predator. <laughs> <laughs> the sounds quite a recent model. His second choice, the Charming Bugman's, Bugman's model from Bugman's. So there's a couple of these. He might be referring to the one that's throwing a chair, or he might be the one that's kind of fallen asleep. I think they're both available to get from Bugman's at the moment. We've got Anders, um, restricting my choice to those that I own. He's going to go with the Sister Talerion Palos. I believe that was a Sister oh, Battle um, classic. She was such a cool yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, Pancake, the Pancake, that is. <laughs> his, the, his third choice is the 25th, <laughs> 25th Anniversary Crimson Fist, the Wargar Battle Standard Bearer, and Prince Alfaron on foot. Which is another classic high elf um, hero oh, that I completely forgot about. Not yeah. Alfarion, Al- Alf- he... Alfran. Oh. Um, was he the sword and shield he's... guy as well? Or did he have the axe? He no, he has got a sword and shield. He's very similar to the one we discussed earlier. Oh. Um, is he the one but... that came with the Skaven guy? Then maybe I got them mixed up. <laughs> I know one came I think out he might be the holding the shield up high. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, this particular one's one. holding the shield up quite high. Um rather than the lower dealer hero that we mentioned. <clears throat> um, so that's his top three picks. 
<clears throat> Chrissy has gone for the Red Gobbo. Uh, Amelia Novina, which uh, I think was the first sister of battle when they were teasing like so the army was coming back. Um, she was the one that's got quite a, an ornate base. She's kind of stood, um, not in a battle pose, more of a showing off kind of pose. Um, she was like the first plastic sister we could buy before, obviously, the range came out. Yeah. Uh, and then Larissa Shadowstalker, which was another um, tempting pick for my top three. That's the Stormcast Eternal lady that's got the kind of glaive, and she's got a yes. hand out in front of her, a real uh, dynamic yeah. pose. Very, very cool model. Um, kind of a precursor to the, all the Dominion stuff. Uh, Vincent Notley went for Grumlock and Gazbag. That's the Orc and Goblin from the Warhammer Online special box, Jay, which I believe you had once upon yeah. a time. Yeah. Uh, the White Dwarf 30 Anniversary Models. That's the, the Go Trek with Bugman and the White Dwarf. And finally, that Terminator Chaplain, um, who will forever lament missing out on, that he was available not that long ago, a few months ago, um, the Terminator Chaplain. Can't well, what I, re I don't know. With. There's been two. I got the Terminator Chaplain that came out a few months ago, but there was a Terminator Chaplain that came out prior to that a few years ago, uh, and he's got a really cool drum barrel bolt storm bolter. Um, I suspect that's the Chaplain he's on about. That's the one that was, you know, that. Well, he's got a, really, he's really got nice a combi, a, a combi storm bolter. Uh, it looks like oh, a okay. Flamer. No, you, yeah, maybe, maybe it's the more recent one then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the more recent yeah. one, that one, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and then finally, Leaky Cheese, uh, somewhere in amongst this lot, I imagine, he's just taken a picture of uh, six um, limited edition models. We've got, I'm not going to say them all, but we've got a lot that have already been mentioned. We've also got the classic Imperial Space Marine um, that they did uh, the a couple of years ago. Yeah, and the Noise Marine as well. Oh, with the guitar. Um, which yeah. they did a couple of years ago. Yeah, so very, very cool. And so thanks to everybody that did send in your top threes. Um, they're very much appreciated. Uh, at this point, we would reveal what next week's is. Um, but with Matt not being on the show, we'll leave that as a bit of a surprise. So keep an eye on our Twitter next Sunday and Monday uh, and Facebook um, for what next week's top three will be. So you'll be able to get your suggestions in um, via our social media. And that, gentlemen, brings this quite large podcast to uh, to a close. It's been a really good episode this week. Yeah, it's been really fun. It's really good. Yeah, thanks, guys. So, uh, yeah, until next week, have a great week of hobby, and we'll speak to you all again very soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast. For more content, remember to check out spruesandbrews.com, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, send us a tweet at spruesandbrews, or head over to facebook.com forward slash sprues and brews.